0: The Jalo Chow Chow podcast has returned. What have I done to you? What do you want from me?
1: We want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. And we want you to join our Facebook group. Do you know how to do those things?
0: I don't know. I don't know anything.
1: Well then, it seems we have no choice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ciao ciao, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the second volume of Jowlo Chow ciao, ciao. And I think that's all I remembered <laughs> to say. It kind of ended I was, quickly. I was waiting
1: to make sure that I didn't that I didn't step on your intro because it gets longer and longer each time. That's what she said. Ah. ah. I was listening to um the office ladies podcast did you listen to that yet are you joking there's an
2: office podcast
1: yeah and it's and it's a rewatch with um with pam and
2: um angela shut the front door yeah dude it's awesome oh wow um a couple quick notes um to get depressing stuff out of the way so oh boy. last time we did an episode we were just you know chewing the cud as they say. Right. And then I ended up with like 102 fever for a couple days. And I thought I had the COVID. Right. And it got really scary around here. I was telling Zoe what to do when I die and everything, and she was getting all upset. And then... um. My doctor wouldn't see me for some stupid reason. She was being quite the twat, but um, told me to just go to the emergency room. I go to the emergency room, and it turns out that I'm COVID-free, but I have a little something called cellulitis in my leg, which isn't a fat girl disease, which I originally thought it's something okay. completely different. And um, my leg was huge and red and hot and angry and the whole thing. So I should have known there was something going on down there. But I just didn't think about it. And right. apparently this could kill you. And I didn't know. And so um, I was on antibiotics. And everything seems to be going okay now. But, if you've been keeping up with the news, there's a giant fire near our place. Oh boy. And now, it's been burning for like four days. I think it's 30% contained, 30,000 acres burned. Um, We can't see any of the hills now. It's just smoke, and it's all we're breathing. So Are you in
1: Kern County?
2: No, this is San Bernardino County. Okay. And the fire started in Riverside County. It's the Apple Fire, I think is what they call it.
1: The Apple Fire, but yes, I'm seeing that. It's yep.
2: moved, um, like kind there's this weird, like kind of canyon ish area where like the Morongo Indian casino and all that stuff is. And I think they've evacuated that area and Pioneer Town um but it's like like we're just a bit north of the fire and for the last few days the wind's been on our side blowing the smoke the other way today right. it decided no we're going to blow at you now Ugh, and it is man. thick right so yeah so those are the things that have been going on since we did our last podcast that is pretty depressing. So the living ghost of Dario Argento is trying to haunt me.
1: <laughs> well, the good news is you don't have the COVID, and your cellulitis will
2: clear up soon, right? Yeah, it's pretty much done. Um, it still kind of hurts a little bit when I bang it on stuff and touch it, but it's all right. right?
1: Now, if they can just get this... well, you got, Do you think you guys might have to, like, ship out of there, like, evacuate? I have
2: no idea, because, like, honestly... We didn't think it was coming anywhere near us. And it's still probably I would say fifteen or thirty miles from us now. Right. But um I didn't think it would go as far as it has. It was like forty it's already burned forty square miles or something. Mm. So um I don't Gosh. know. It's weird. But we'll see, I guess. So yeah. I saw on—I um, don't know if it was Facebook or the Instagram—you um, shaved all your pubes off.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Did you get <laughs> manscaped or something? Nah, dude. I um, I
1: I I won't make this one of those long story longs because I've been listening to the old podcasts and I do that a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I. I, you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, I am trying to improve. I, you, your, your, your fearless podcaster here, is is making an effort to to pay attention to every word that he utters in these podcasts in an effort to improve and make things better for you all out there. Um, and and that was a three um,
2: minute preface. So continue.
1: That was a three minute preface to a short story. Uh, <laughs> um. You know what it was i started growing my hair during quarantine when quarantine started i'm like yeah dude i'm gonna be a hippie and my hair got long enough where i could grab it in certain spots and and, and, you know get a good chunk of hair in my hand and i'm like okay it's working and then every once in a while i would see that like egg in a nest look where my bald spot was and it was like if i looked straight ahead into the mirror you can't see it but if i tilt my head down a little bit it was there and i'm saying to myself i don't think this is going to end well i got my hair super super wet and and combed it as as flat and as slick back as i could to see if i could have any sort of semblance of a comb over that would be workable and i and i didn't so then i started looking around at like the old hippies uh, that are in their 60s and 70s with the long hair and i'm like that's probably what i'm going to look like when i'm 60 or 70 but i'm not 60 or 70 and I kind of need to look semi-presentable, and I definitely will be growing my hair back again, but probably not for another ten years or
2: so. so. Well, it's like you got to have a lot of volume, and if you look at the movies we're watching now, these dudes have a lot of volume, and they're able Dude. to comb stuff over and comb stuff back, and they're so much all volume. Sorts of stuff. Oh my god! But yeah, it's like. It's it's shocking. Like the amount of like hairspray that's probably going in with a hairdryer. Yep. It's like it's pretty fancy.
1: Um, the one thing I wanted to, to talk about, uh, as we open up the show, even though we've already opened it up is some stuff about the podcast itself. Um, first of all, tell me what you think of the new intro. Do you guys I like it? it? <laughs> I was putting the, I was putting the, um, the documentary episode together and I'm like, I need a new intro. And this, this thing that I made, it kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> I was watching, um, Actually, we should do a contest. Yeah,
2: do that. If you
1: can, if you can figure out, um, I can tell you this much: the after you 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 hear the intro, you hear that um, you hear that production company jingle, then you hear the chow chow, and then you hear the music, and that music and that scream, and the subsequent things that the female says in response to what the podcast narrator says is all from one particular movie and then um and that might not be too hard to figure out but what's harder is when the narrator says uh i guess we have no choice and she screams and then the narrator laughs maniacal laugh the scream and the subsequent screams are from a different movie um because i was looking for a really good scream that didn't have music in the background and i found it so I guess the challenge will be if you can figure out which of the two movies I used to mix that together. Um, we will give you bragging rights because I have nothing. It's funny because there's
2: probably like one or two people who know it immediately, and there's like <laughs> and like it's like wow. Um, after last time we listened to the podcast, and you know what my wife said to me. I'll tell you. That I was, I was waiting for you to say Rhetorical? something. Rhetorical? Oh, I'm sorry. Go okay. Ahead. Um, she said, babe, you need to step up your game. <laughs> so apparently, um, I, I need to, like, bring it a little bit more. So, um, look out. It's getting broaded. And it's getting broaded. Yeah, dude.
1: Well, you know, to your, to your defense, um, the last, of the first two podcasts of Volume Two, we took a matrix of both of our voices from my Skype call recording, and there are there are times where you can kind of hear that you're about to say something, but you're either drowned out by me interrupting, or you're drowned out by the fact that the fidelity isn't good. So what we're doing this for this episode is you're recording your own audio, and I'm recording mine. And it's going to sound, it'll sound much
2: better, and you'll you'll definitely have a better presence. I think my wife was leaning more on the side of me not knowing my shit. And I got to step up a little bit. Ah, you know your shit. Because you you sound like you know what you're talking about. And I think (laughs) my wife thought that I didn't know what I was talking about. So I have to at least come off. Um, a little bit more knowledgeable. Um, <clears throat> I don't okay. want to come off sounding like the English dub actors for Eyeball. You know, like, I need to act like I know what I'm talking about.
1: Uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but I think if we're going to
2: give an award for the worst oh dubbed Jallo, it's this one. <clears throat> it's pretty bad. It's like... Like, yeah, we'll get to it, so <clears throat> no worries no, there.
1: The, so the other thing I wanted to say was, before we uh, started Volume 2 of the podcast, we had about 280-something members on the Facebook group, and now we're up to 347. Where so, are all these people coming from? I, dude, the podcast, it, it is out there, and people are paying attention. I can go and give you, really, really quickly, quickly um, um, for episode 0 which is the resurrection where we really didn't even talk about Jalo that much. We've had 112 downloads. Oh wow. For epi- for episode 1 we've had 114.
0: Oh wow.
1: Um, and that and and, and, and it's, it's it's fantastic. fantastic. And so-, so I don't know if you noticed but I started uploading the old versions and putting them in as volume 1 and um, we're using Podbean as our host and we're officially on there now where you can you know I can upload as many episodes as I want. So yeah, like if you go into the Apple Uh, podcast you'll see for the new podcast now there's all these other episodes for volume one so it's it's it and and apple actually has it listed under season one which is kind of cool so right um yeah so it's it's dude it's i mean it's taken off it's got a little bit of a buzz on it we've got people primarily from the u.s and from the uk who are listening however we've got people in australia listening germany sweden uh, Brazil, the Czech Republic, I Japan. I want to say
2: hello to all of you.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, this is great, guys. It's, is there it's, anyone
2: uh, from Barcelona?
1: Oh, man, Spain. Did I see Spain in there? No, Sweden, United Kingdom, and Germany. We need a, a, a Barcelona um, a representative You're for tonight. I also wanted to spe- uh, say a special thanks to Glenn Del Rossi, who's one of our... Um, one of the one of the group members who saved all the episodes i guess he must have downloaded the mp3s and saved them somewhere so that gap between 40 and 60 he filled that in for us um so and we have the eyeball episode that we were missing from i think it was episode 10 or 11. so this is superfluous so it's a little bit superfluous but i've never had an in-depth conversation about eyeball with with you so this will be this will be fun also, Al
2: hit me up, our Yay, Italian Al. correspondent, and he told me he had a bunch of the episodes too. Um, I don't think he had the YouTube episodes that we did, right? Um, which I still don't know exactly why we did that, but I'm sure there was a reason for it. Um, if but, I remember
1: correctly, we wanted to do something live and we wanted to do do it video, and we, and we used, used Google, Google Hangouts, Hangouts, which ended up becoming eventually youtube thing
2: yeah so
1: basically basically what i was doing in in the with those old podcasts is we would go live and even when we had um, back in the 40s we had eric with us too so we had eric and you and me and we were all on the youtube thing and then um after we were done it would show up on your channel and i would go in i would download the youtube video as an mp3 and then i would edit it Um, And then turn it into a podcast. Yeah. I got the Lindsay Baker Giallo box set the other day from From Amazon. Amazon. Oh, did it show up? Yes. And, um, unfortunately I haven't had time to put any of the movies in to actually watch them, but it is chock full. And I would say to anybody out there who has a little bit of disposable income, Amazon has this thing for 70 bucks. So you're getting four Lindsay films films on Blu-ray orgasmo, which is is the the first first one one in his, uh, Quadrilogy, uh, So Sweet, So Perverse, uh, A Quiet Place to Kill, and Knife of Ice. Um, all of these are obviously with Carol Baker. And um, each one is obviously, you know, digitally you know redone from the negative. Um, I can tell you real quickly that the special features for Orgasmo is a U.S x-rated version as well as the director's cut so i guess there's two versions uh audio Audio commentary commentary with troy howarth our our buddy who has the so deadly so perverse um books and then there is an interview with the director um the so sweet so perverse has audio commentary um an uh, interview with Lenzi and Gastaldi, Ernesto Gestaldi, the screenwriter. Quiet Place to Kill. Let's see. More audio commentary. Uh, an alternate clothed scene, which is kind of funny. Um, usually it's an alternate naked scene. Yeah. Right? But this one is an extended clothed scene. Um, more Lenzi interviews and a knife of ice as well. And so you got the four Blu-rays plus there is an audio CD for the orgasmo for the so sweet so per- perverse and for the quiet place to kill movies soundtracks so a chock full of and and the uh, the set itself is is gorgeous
2: um, and it also has just the theme from knife knife of ice right I don't I don't know you mean on the CDs yeah
1: I just remember when we covered those films that those songs got stuck in my fucking head for days. Well, if I'm not
2: mistaken, those are the movies, and I could be wrong about this, but I think those are the movies where he was, like, recycling um, music from one movie into another. Well, yeah, definitely um, Seven Bloodstained
1: Orchids has recycled music, and maybe some of it is from Knife of Ice, but I don't know if you remember those songs, like... The one from Orgasmo was that upbeat kind of soul. Oh, anytime you need some love, just tell me. It sounded a little bit like Otis Redding. Yeah. Oh,
0: anytime. you need some love, just tell me.
1: Yeah, and then there was that song um, in the beginning of uh, So Sweet, So Perverse, where the guy's singing, Why? <laughs>
0: Why do we run in seconds, not knowing which way to go? See, like, like if this
2: was any kind of podcast, he would have just put those songs in and play little snippets, but he's going to sing them without knowing the words and go. Ah, ah, ah. And now you're making me feel like I'm, I'm phoning it in here and I've got to do that in
1: the editing process. I will do that though, you jerk. <coughs> you I will do I will to totally do, do it. But anyway, that's the Lindsay box. Go get it. It just came out. It's by Severin Severin. It's Films. the Lensy Baker box. Yep, it's called the Complete Lindsay Baker Giallo Collection. And I think it's listed at over 100 bucks, but Amazon is selling it for 70. But the
2: box itself is nice.
1: Yeah, the bo- the box is great. It's yellow and red and it's got you know, artwork from all the movies and it's got a picture of Lindsay when he was really young, like behind a camera. That's cool. Yeah. And, and so, you know, maybe on the next podcast, I will have time to watch some of these and I can comment on how they look. Just to finish up news, we need to talk quickly about um, Mr. John Saxon, who passed away last week. Um, oh. If you know no, John Saxon, was he was in The Girl who, who Knew Too Much, and he was also in Tenebrae. But most people know him from Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. as the dad um, cop, right? Yeah. So, but he was in a thousand things, right? He's yeah. like an Amer- American. He's in my favorite
2: of- episode of Murder She Wrote. Oh, he is. So there you go.
1: Didn't you tell tell me me that that somebody in your family met him? Was it your mom, maybe? Oh,
2: yeah. I have a signed photo of him. Um, Right. Yeah, my mom met him. She went to... He was dating a friend or a fan. I, I can't remember how it happened, but after this play, they went backstage. And as you do, when people come say hi to you and hang out. You're like, Oh, have an eight by (laughs) 10. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So he, he died very last week. So I was going to say something, um, last episode, but it seemed to be going long, but, um, not really the same thing, but it is Italian. Um, a actor producer, that I had worked with quite a lot, who didn't give me my start in making movies, but the movies I made with him were like the biggest budget movies I made, if you understand what I'm saying. Sure. Um, he passed away. Um,
0: mm. uh,
2: Domitiano so Sounds Italian. Um, yeah, he was very Italian. But... Uh, Yeah, um, so that was weird. Um, we had a love hate relationship, but, um, when we were like working, we were working and it was good, you know? Right. Um, but so that's kind of, um, that took the wind out of my sails a little bit, I'll say. Yeah, that kind of sucks. But, um, I don't know, I just, um, one of the things that we bonded over was our love of Jallo. And so that was kind of how I got in working with him in the first place. So, um, it was, uh, it's just weird when like people, you know, just aren't there anymore. Yeah. You know, it's, it's strange. Yeah. The older you get, the more people die. Yeah. So, there it is. Yeah, I mean, I
1: I know that people that are in their, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s typically make a habit of reading the obituaries on a a regular basis because I guess they're looking for the names of people they know. yeah.
2: that's that's you know that's what
1: we have to look forward to that's yes.
2: what they do in fight club she looks at the obituaries so she could go to fun funerals spoiler
1: that was a cool aspect of that film just the idea that um
0: no the totally. idea that, that,
1: that they would go to um support groups just for fun but you know because it was like they were addicted to going to sport support groups <laughs> I wanted to open up a discussion. I don't know if this will be a a quick discussion or a long one, but we have a new um, member on the group and his name is, let's see here, Michael Logan. And he posted something on our group. It says, I'm very new to Giallo. Is there a best order to watch the movies in? I am basically at least making sure I go through the director's films in chronological order but wasn't sure if there was a good place to start. So far, I started at the beginning with Girl Who Knew Too Much and Blood and Black Lace. I've also watched the first three Lenzies and Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which was my favorite so far. Um, and there's a lot of responses to this, including my own. Yeah, uh, But it brings up a really good topic. Um, we make the assumption on this podcast, and as well as our group, and probably just about everybody who creates original commentary material for Diallo that people have already seen these films. So if you're new to the genre, obviously the big important thing is not to listen to or watch any documentaries or podcasts on Diallo until after you've watched the film because you don't want it spoiled
2: for you. Yeah.
1: But for somebody who's brand new... And you and I are seasoned jallo Jolly watchers. How would you is what What's the best approach for starting? I mean, if you know, on one hand, you could you could approach it from a historical context and just watch the films chronologically. I mean, obviously, you can skip over the ones that are maybe not so popular. Um, no. But another alternative is to say, well, I really like Argento, or I really like Fulci, or I really like Martino, and I'm going to watch all of theirs. In a a group, and then I'll I'll move move on on to a different
2: director. I think one thing um, that might be really fun is if you watched everything from 1970. 1970 was a good year. It had a lot of good movies. Um, And I think that would probably be like a... At least for a starting point, because you still have people doing kind of the 60s vibe, but you right. also have um, where it's going to go over the next five years. So yeah. that, that like, I'm trying to think of what movies that would be, because um, Five Dolls is can 70, tell you. right? Or is that 69? No, definitely 70. Okay, and then was Bay of Blood 70 as well?
0: Or was that, um, that
1: is a good question, but let me... I can give you an answer to that um, pretty quickly and easily, um, because on Cinemageddon, they have every film that's considered a jalo by year, so uh, the very first one on the, the list, list for 1970, 1970 is Death, Death Occurred Last Night, Night. Um, but if I go through just 1970, the highlights will be Five Dolls, Forbidden Photos, oh, Hatch awesome. for Honeymoon. Uh, in the Folds of Flesh, which is actually really good. Uh, Lindsay's Paranoia, which is A Quiet Place to Kill. We were talking about that. Obviously, Bird is in there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the, the Weekend Murders, which I thought was almost... a. have never watched that movie. I've watched the beginning of it, and it's got like a Paramount or some major film studio intro. Huh. Although, I think it's an Italian film. Um, So, maybe actually 71 is better, because... Uh, that's really it. Um, Bay of Blood is the first movie of 71 and 71 is like the banner year for Jolly. Um, case of the scorpion's tale, death walks on high heels, uh, four flies on gray velvet, iguana with a tongue of fire, uh, lizard woman's skin, um, seven murders for Scotland Yard, short night of glass dolls, bloodstained butterfly, Back belly of the tarantula, <laughs> cat of nine tails, cold-blooded beast, the fifth chord, uh, Evelyn came out of the grave, strange vice. Um, Damn, uh, that's all seventy-one. Yeah, so.
2: seventy-one is pretty fucking good, dude. Like, yeah, that that probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do. Damn.
1: I like that approach, though. I think I think I thought. Sort of the same way. Um, In other words, you know, unless you really want to be academic about it and start at the very beginning and kind of get a sense of, you know, what led up to Girl Who Knew Too Much and Blood and Black Lace, what, you know, and then what happened immediately after that. And and then how did all of that kind of converge on um, what Argento did for Bird and then the films that followed? but if you're really interested in watching them for the sheer entertainment and you really want to know um, what the movement is all about and and what are the you know what are the real hits what are the lasting classic films of the, of the of the of the genre um, you start you know after a few of them have been out i think you're right yeah. i think you i think you start in the middle I think it's easier to appreciate the ones that came in the early to mid 60s after you've seen the ones in the in the early
2: 70s It's so weird because if you could imagine like being like just a kid in Italy in 1971 and every week a movie like that's coming out that's like being a <laughs> teenager in America in 1981 when. Right. Every freaking amazing slasher movie was coming out, you know. Like, yep, yep. Fuck, that's crazy. And I
1: remember, remember? Um, the I think the first horror movie I saw in the movie theater was an American Werewolf in London. And I was talking to my dad about that last weekend, and then I looked it up, and I think I was only like nine. And he took me to see a rated R movie, horror movie, like it's really bad fucking parenting, don't you think? I don't know. I wouldn't take my nine year old to see a horror movie. But, but when,
2: when did I screwed up my when, kid way early on, so I'm like the <laughs> last person to ask.
1: When did when did a new
2: beginning um
1: Friday the thirteenth, eighty five? Alright, so eighty five. So seventy three I was born. So in eighty five I was twelve. I went to see that when I was twelve. Again, really, you know, I don't know. I remember my dad saying something about that he didn't want to take me, but, you know, he was going to take me anyway. or something. I don't know what it was. It, it's, it, you know, it's funny that the memories that we have of the shit that used to happen to us when we were kids is probably so inaccurate compared to what really happened.
2: Yeah. You know? Like, I was way off about that um, guy next door that used to take me into the shed when I was little. <laughs> um, but it's all right it's all good you you were wrong about him yeah or, you know like oh, all, okay. all the stories i told apparently that's not what really happened
1: oh okay so. so it's like instead of instead of it coming out in therapy it got suppressed even
2: yes more. i see
1: what you're saying so
2: it's all good
1: so anyway um so, uh, da, 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 Michael, I think that's um, what we think. We think that you should go and start looking at the films from 70 and 71. And if I were to recommend some, I would say Five dollars for an August Moon is a fantastic film. It's a lot of fun. I know it's one of Creep's favorites. It's very um, fun. Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion is awesome. Um, and if, and if he's already watched, uh, the three, the first three lenses, he's already seen a quiet place to kill. And he's already seen, um, strange vice of Mrs. Ward. Um, obviously you can't really go too far without running into the bird with the crystal plumage. Yeah.
2: You gotta, gotta watch,
1: watch it. You gotta watch that.
2: And then just um, jump to 75 and do strip nude and eyeball and everything <laughs> will be
1: okay. But Bay of Blood is a fantastic oh, film. Yeah.
2: That grew on me. I hated it at first.
1: Yep. Yes, you did. It's so different than anything else that was was happening at that time.
2: You know, Baba was way ahead of it.
1: So there's your answers. All right, well, um, you asked me to do a top three, and I'm ready to do it. Do uh, it. Because that's the only thing I have left before we talk about Eyeball. Do it hard. Um, that's what she said. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, it's not really an obscure top three. It's very predictable. Um, but I do have good stories to go along with my choices, so okay. I figured that would save it. Yeah, Right. yeah. So... Uh, My top three is my top three Slayer albums. Ooh. Um, And, you know, we last week or last podcast, we talked about your top three L.A. punk albums. Yeah. Um, And I didn't necessarily want to do another music one, but this is the first thing that popped into my head because I couldn't think of anything, honestly. So my top three Slayer albums, starting at number three. Number three is God Hates Us All. And the reason why that is my number three is because it just that particular album hit me in a a way that that's the other Slayer albums didn't. And I think it was because I had taken a break from listening to Slayer. I mean, I had South of Heaven and I I forget the name of the album that came after that one um, where War Ensemble was on it. Anyway, um, God Hates Us All came out. Uh, very close to, if not on the day of the September 11th attacks, I think. Okay. Okay. And it really was jarring. Not only, you know, cause when I used to listen to Slayer, it was all about black magic and Satan and all this kind of fantasy horror metal. Yeah. Um, but God hates us all was very real. It was about homeless people. It was about, um, you know, uh, it was about uh, drug addicts. It was about um, you know atheists and the, the government and war, and it just um, and it, and it was it was a rager. It was not a a kind of um, they they didn't show any signs of like mellowing out or slowing or anything. And I, I went, went to, to, see to see them in Philadelphia, Philadelphia on that tour. And I think they had Bostoff on drums. They didn't have Dave Lombardo on drums. Um, but they were amazing. They were ama- there was. The, it was. The, I think it's the only time I saw Slayer live, uh, and they were unbelievable. And that album um, is really horrifying. It's a. It's great. It's. It's technically brilliant. Um, but I just think that the the you just get this feeling of dread and fear when you listen to it, and I think that's what they were going for. Wow. So my second favorite uh, Slayer album is *Hell Awaits*. It's their second full-length album from the '80s. Um, I remember going to a flea market with my dad, and I bought *Hell Awaits* on cassette. And I don't think I had *Show No Mercy* yet, the first album. Yeah, okay, but I did have.
2: That's what I was gonna ask you about. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I think I I <clears throat> my my initial exposure to Slayer was I was in a record store one day and the Haunting the Chapel EP was there, and if we're doing top three Slayer releases, then it's that. But we're talking about albums, and the Haunting the Chapel EP was only three songs. So I brought that album that EP home. It had Haunting the Chapel, Captor of Sin, and Chemical Warfare on it, and I, I put it on the record player in my mother's house, and I I couldn't understand what I was hearing. Like it was like my brain was was just kind of shocked by what i heard it was such an apocalyptic sound of metal and destruction and mayhem but anyway uh my dad and i went to a flea market i guess i was about you know 12 or 13 and there was a place there that sold cassettes and i got hella weights and uh, we listened to it on the way home like my dad was the coolest dad he'd let me listen to whatever i wanted to in the car even stuff like uh the, the cramps, cramps and, and the stormtroopers storm of, of death, death and napalm, napalm death, and death and fucking Murphy's Law <laughs> and everything. My dad would just let me listen to all of it. Um and I'm getting paid back now because my son likes to listen to like uh, new school rap and hip hop and I don't really like it, but uh, I let him listen to it in the car. So anyway. Um we're driving back and we're listening to this Hello Waits album and the production in the on the Hella Waits album if you're familiar with '80s metal, it was very trebly, very mid-rangey, and almost no bass at all. Um, not nothing like the way that metal albums are produced now. Like metal albums are produced, like they've got a lot of bass, like like stoner metal kind of influenced things. Um, and it's it wasn't like that in the '80s. Like if you listen to, you know, the Maiden albums from you know the '80s and or like and, Possessed
2: um, or Death or
1: yeah, um, absolutely. Stuff like it's, that, all, yeah. it's all treble and mid-range and very little bass. And I think the way that the acoustics were in my dad's car, the cassette for Hello Waits, I just couldn't even hear what was going on. It just sounded like noise. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, this is fucking terrible. And then I got it home and I got it on my Walkman. I had my headphones and I really fucking heard what they were doing. And that album, dude, I just played it over and over again. And... Um, I learned some of the, some of the parts, so I'd play guitar, you know, uh, while listening to it. And, um, I just, I love the imagery from that album, like the necrophiliac song and at dawn they sleep was a song about vampires and, and, you know, that backwards thing at the beginning of hell awaits. It was just amazing. Um, so that's number two. Uh, and number one is probably no, is probably an obvious choice, but it's rain and blood. Um, I think that uh, if you needed to put an album in a time capsule for what heavy metal is all about, it's that album for me. Um, It's like 30 something minutes long. There's There's no breaks. breaks. It's It's all speed metal. It's It's all amazing. amazing. Um, And the story I have to play for that or tell you for that one is um, Slayer came to my town to play a show in New Jersey when I was in, gonna say seventh grade or eighth grade maybe and they did an appearance at a local record store and my friend Brian and I went to Catholic school and um, one of our mothers picked us up from school and we ch- we changed out of our Catholic school uniforms into like combat boots and slayer t-shirts in the car so that when we got to the record store to see them, um, we, we didn't look like Catholic school people and we, fucked st- up. we stood in line for about an hour and there was a guy who had, and I don't know if you remember at the time, but the rain and blood album was so short that you could fit it on one side of a cassette. Yeah. So if you had a tape deck that had auto reverse, you could just play the rain and blood album indefinitely. It would just, it would get to the end and it would auto reverse to the other side. And it would play and that would do that. Um, and that's what happened while we were outside waiting to go in to see the band, because I think we waited maybe three times through the album. So we eventually went in, and it was like Tom Ray was there and uh, Jeff Hanneman was there. I think those were the only two guys that were there, to be honest with you. Um, I don't remember if Dave Lombardo or Carrie King were there, but it was definitely those two. And we got our T-shirts signed, and we got posters signed, and we met the guys. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go to the actual show because my parents thought I was too young to go to a a, a metal punk rock club in the middle of downtown Trenton, which they were probably smart to to do that. Um, but uh, that album, it's just, just amazing. amazing. It's it's it's, uh, it's a masterpiece, masterpiece of, of metal. metal. Um, and there there are a lot of good Slayer albums, but those are the the ones that uh, I I always go to if I'm going to listen to. slayer i don't really i mean south of heaven is probably number four i don't i don't remember what the other ones were i think i listened to the one that came after god hates us all which was pretty good um and maybe one of the ones they put out recently but i don't after jeff Hanneman died did they put out any new material or did they just tour
2: i want to say they did but i'm not gonna i can't remember i think they did because they had Lombardo came back to the band and then left
1: again, and then they got Bostoff back, and then they got the guy who played in Exodus to play for, um, after after Jeff died from that t- spider bite,
2: which is fucking freaky. Uh, what year did that EP come out? The uh, Haunting the Chapel? Yeah, was that 83, or was that earlier? I think it was, I think it was 83. Uh, 84, it says. 84. Wikipedia. So then, um, show no mercy was, was was that the same year? Did that not come out till 85?
1: Uh, show no mercy was no show. No mercy was their first album that came out before. I have
2: uh, like this weird thing where, um, all those bands like, um, though, and like even like Sodom and, um, uh, destruction and. Stuff like that, like those, like, first, like, demo EPs. Yeah, like, they're so different than what it eventually sounds like. There was a period where all I was listening to was that stuff, like, um, Possess Seven Churches. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like,
1: yeah, that's a great one. That I
2: was just like, oh my gosh, and um, but Show No Mercy. That's the one with the logo and the weird little devil goat guy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I listened to that probably more than any other Slayer anything until when um, we moved to Oregon and I was in that punk band and we were playing all the clubs. It was like every show you played, some band would play Rain and Blood. It's like without fail and it was like if a band got on earlier and played it you would just see the other bands like oh
0: because they
2: knew that they weren't going to be able to play rain and blood and i was like what the fuck is going on out here um, wow just everyone covered that song man that was but dude such mean, a legendary song
1: how many times did you see a band cover it and do it well never an easy
2: song never (laughs) never like it never was good i mean it was like oh yeah that's rain and blood and then you're like but um but yeah man i
1: I love there's a video of them playing playing at the the warfield Warfield where they where they 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 actually rain rain blood on the stage have you ever seen that
2: that? oh no but that's sick
1: yeah it's so cool they play the whole rain and blood album and then when they get to the last song they they have a blood rainstorm on the stage it's pretty cool
2: that's for but me. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, dude, all gonna, of that uh, stuff, all of that early metal, like you said, Destruction, I think the guy who who uh, was on that Possessed album that you are talking about eventually became the guy in Primus. I think he left Possessed and he was in the Primus band with Les Claypool. The and, guitarist? And,
2: uh, I, don't I don't know if it was the, the guitarist or the drummer. The, the guitarist. guitarist. I think it was the guitarist. Wow. I thought I read something like that, but... I don't know. Like memories fade, but like just like that whole like speed thrash metal um like when you have like um this this is so like out of the park here. But like from like Misfits <laughs> Earth AD from, yeah. from that till like maybe the first um obituary album. Okay. okay. Like all those bands that came out of there, they all had these like bitchin' demos or EPs or um, just, and it was always like the hunt. It's kind of like hunting down these movies we're talking about. Because yeah. once they would get signed to a label, they would have this like kind of overproduced album come out or whatever. Yeah. Um, yep. And if you could find like this old junky cassette tape with like a Xeroxed J card in it you know and yes. like a hand-drawn thing <laughs> like you were like oh my god this is so yep. cool and um that was always like just like hunting stores trying to find stuff like that was yeah. always super cool
1: oh i i i remember i have a specific memory of when i was probably 14 i was heavily into the misfits and mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it was, my friend and I um, were were big into the punk scene and and the misfits. And when I would go and hang out with, at this dude's house, he had a neighbor who he was like, "Yeah, dude, I got the demos. I got the uh, I got all the Static Age demos. Like before, before... they released all yeah. that stuff on, on CD and vinyl." Oh my god! It was he had a copy of it on cassette, and he was being a total dick, like. Oh, I'm not gonna make a copy of it for you because that's, you know, like he 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 wanted us to give him stuff or like pay him or something. That's what I remember. Like the guy was a dick.
2: Was he gonna make you a copy or just to listen to it? Give him stuff? No, he's
1: no, he was gonna make us a copy, but I think at some point we like figured out how to borrow it without him knowing and made copies. Called (laughs) called called stealing. (laughs) Yeah,
2: no, that's so funny because like once like the internet became. Once the internet became a god, basically, and I could get anything I want whenever I wanted, like I could get like a Sodom demo or like a Merciful Fate demo or um, stuff like that, just like downloading stuff online or listening to like people on YouTube who, like, hey, I have this like seven inch, Um, I'm going to play it on this video kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, It was like, so crazy like because when you are out hunting for stuff it's a completely different like almost like life or death world and now everything is so accessible and there's like this whole feeling that you don't have anymore and this is just like oh oh grandpa's yelling at a cloud you know but (laughs) okay boomer but it's just like yeah totally but like when i finally got um And I keep bringing up this Sodom demo because that was like one of these things that I was looking for forever and I couldn't find it. And when I finally was able to just download it and listen to it, like it was cool, but I just didn't give a shit. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let me download the original shitty artwork. And I did that. (laughs) And I'm like, well, am I going to put it on a tape or am I just going to like walk off now? It's like, i
1: don't know man. right like <laughs> no you're right because you i used little to do i used to go i used to go um hunting for misfits seven inches because they were like the oh, holy damn, grail started like, on like, that like, like
2: vinyl yeah dude and let i me would tell dude, you did you have the misfits box set oh this is this is getting crazy now did you have the misfits box set i no i never bought it okay well there was a website i think it was called misfits central i could be wrong about that But they have um, all of the different Misfit 7-inches. Right. Um, And it'll say how many were on black vinyl. And then there were, like, X amount on orange vinyl, X amount. And when I say X amount, I mean, like, uh, 19. Yeah, Yeah, just, like, some weird-ass number. And so, for, like, the longest time, I was trying to find um, a 12-inch pink vinyl legacy of brutality because there were only 16 of those made. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get that. And like from 2002, I would say to 2005, (laughs) like I was just trying to find any rare misfits, 12 inch or seven inch or whatever. But at this time too, I had a baby, not me personally, but I was kind of at fault. And yeah, you couldn't really invest a lot. Yeah. And like going, Oh, I'm going to spend $200 on a seven inch. Like (laughs) really was like, what are you talking about? Like, is that something you can really do? But yeah, dude, like I'm sure other bands did it too, but misfits were like crazy with how many different versions of all the different seven inches they had. Um,
1: Well, I I mean, dude, I I can admit that I had the Bullet 7-inch, which was on red. Oh. I had had the Horror Business 7-inch, which was on yellow. I had um, Three Hits from Hell. I had Halloween. Um, I had a couple of different Evil Live versions on 7-inch. The holy grail for me was The Walk Among Us, the original. Uh, issue but what? i couldn't find it anywhere and whenever i found it, it was way too expensive to buy so i just didn't get it
2: were you looking for the different colored covers for that because there was pink,
1: pink background and purple
2: yep was it the pink background with the purple outline on the letters i, th- I think so oh. i think that i i couldn't remember which one was the first issue but one of them
1: was and and then you know, there was a second. I think there was a second pressing that was in a
2: different color, and they flipped it. Right? It was like, yep, yeah. Oh my god, we're nerds.
1: And even like when Sam Hain would put out vinyl, they'd put yeah. out a
2: million different versions,
1: marbled this and and you know, yeah. Um, so I still have a couple, but I sold most of them. Um, I shouldn't have. but Did you I did. have I all would,
2: the like was young stuff that came with it? Yeah, um, like did, all the inserts and stuff? Yeah. Yep. Did it have like the, oh, join the Fiend Club? and Absolutely.
1: All right. So all right. We're an well, in. Listen, here's the. T- Point where I make the edit and put in the uh, dun 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 dun, dun, because we're going to talk about this eyeball finally. There it is. So this it's interesting that we're doing this one. I by the way, ladies and gentlemen, remember when I said I was listening to the old podcast and I'm trying to get better? Yeah. if you count the number of times I say it's interesting and you and you had a dollar for every time i said it you, you could retire so i got a well,
0: it's not
2: your fault that we're just talking about some really interesting shit <laughs> I mean, <we laughs> but i
1: got to find so we i got to get one. my thes- my thesaurus out and find another word for interesting
2: you know riveting
1: <laughs> definitely this, not
2: this is riveting
1: so this is a very unique film for us, because it has been shrouded in all kinds of controversy uh, since the Chow Chow podcast started, Why? and part of part of it is because I had never seen it um, before you guys covered it, and then when you guys covered it, I wasn't—I didn't get a chance to participate, and I didn't um, watch it until after you guys covered it, and when I watched it, I fucking hated it. Yeah. Um, And then I watched it again because you really liked it, and I said, "Okay, it's not as bad as I thought." And then I saw it a third time in a movie theater with an audience, and you would imagine that totally changed everything because it was just you know everybody was laughing at all the the awkward parts of the movie, and it was very entertaining. Um, and I did a very very super deep dive on it this time. And I went through all the scenes, and I and you know I've got some some comments and some quotes, and if you if you if you feel like buckling up and and going through, you know I can quickly um, do an outline of what's going on in the scene, and then we can talk about
2: it. And uh, well, let's talk about this fucking ridiculous opening. This is probably the worst part of the whole movie, like the credit sequence.
1: Yeah. So for people who um, haven't seen the film before or are brand new to Um, listening to us talk. We're talking about Umberto Lenzi's movie called The Eyeball, or Eyeball. Uh, Its Italian title was Gatti Rossi in un labirinto di vetro, which means red cats in a glass labyrinth. I
2: think you said, I I think I heard a burrito in there. Yeah, red red cats in a glass burrito.
1: (laughs) It was... (laughs) um it's also gone by the the term of uh the labyrinth of red death the labyrinth of horror the secret killer the killer in a red dress um as far as the cast goes there isn't very many people in this that we see in other jolly except for uh mr george Rajard, who plays reverend bronson um he's been in a lot of movies a lot yeah like his middle uh, nope.
2: name might as well be Red Herring,
0: right? <laughs> George
1: Red Herring Regard, uh, yeah, <laughs> or Regard.
2: And that yeah. the chick, um, uh, Nubia, is that her name? Na- yeah, Nabia? <laughs> What What's her name?
1: Labia, Naiba, <laughs> Naiba. I think they say Naiba, right?
2: naiba yeah what was she in she in something else she was in something else i can't remember what it's hurting my head but i've seen her in something else
1: well she you know she she, it's funny because she's always wearing um wigs in this thing
2: god that blonde wig dude And,
1: and she had the she had the big afro wig and i you know i'm not trying to be stereotypical here but i just thought that was her hair and then in another scene she's just got this tiny little head of hair so i guess the afro was actually
2: also a wig yeah the blonde wig she should have had on the whole time that was amazing that was the best wig of the film
1: well according to imdb she was in solo the 120 days of sodom but But... i'm i've never really watched that movie So anyway, um, it was uh, written by Lindsay and somebody named Felix Tussle. And the music is uh, Bruno Nicolai. And I actually have a question for you. um, Yes. Looking over the IMDb um, for eyeball. um, And I wanted to know. I know this is one of those things where it depends on the movie and it depends on the director but they're they they've got a credit in there for the cinematographer and I kind of want to know as from you because you're in the industry um, how often does a director decide that they're going to be the cinematographer or What's the difference between the director and the cinematographer? Because I see pictures of directors behind cameras, and I just thought that that's what the cinematographer did.
2: Okay, now this is um, not necessarily a touchy subject, but this, to go back to Argento, this is my big beef with Argento, is that um, the cinematographer's job is basically like... Once the director has blocked the shot, meaning, like, he's telling um, the actors where to go, where to stand, where to stop, where to turn, um, and where they're going to end up at the beginning and the end of the scene um, physically, what they're going to touch, what they're going to pick up, all that shit. Right. The cinematographer's job is to light that room um and kind of paint the room with light and make it um visually pleasing basically okay. um and lighting the background correctly so there's like a foreground and a background and a lot of these like lighting techniques and stuff like that are things that they go to school for and spend years like learning how to do. And this is why like newer films, I think are just flat and kind of just boring because most people don't do this anymore. And um, so if you have a good cinematographer, they'll take care of that. There are directors that I know who the only thing they do is talk to the actors and tell them how they want them to act out a scene that tell them what emotion they want them to have. And then let the cinematographer completely block the scene and tell them where to go. And that's probably more rare than not. Um, But, and then I've worked with other cinematographers who just basically point a camera and they have lighting people who decide how to light something, but everything from, Um, any kind of camera movements to zooming. And there are so many fucking crash zooms in this movie. You could like get whiplash (laughs) from it.
0: (laughs) Like seriously.
2: (laughs) But um, it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's a lost art because it obviously isn't. But um, I think every decade that goes by, people are getting, um, worse and worse at it with how technology is improving
0: okay
1: so so this particular film has accredited cinematographer um do most of these films have accredited cinematographer i mean is it possible that you would see i mean sometimes you might see cinematography by and then you'd
2: see the director's name i don't know if you see that every once in a while but Cause isn't it like I don't know Italian, but isn't it like riggy or R G R E G I A? Isn't that yeah that that means directing? Yeah, yeah, regia. But there yeah. are some directors that actually run the camera, right? But and then they'll also sometimes have a cinematographer whose job is to load the film. If they're basically like a assistant cameraman or a second AC. And their job is to just like light, um, load film, and um, make sure dolly tracks are okay if you're using that kind of stuff. Because I think Bava um, in, I want to say in um, Bay of Blood, might have been Five Dolls. But I think he operated the camera on a lot of that. I could be so fucking wrong. But I... I I remember a story
1: about him building some sort of makeshift dolly for blood and black lace. Okay. It might've been that film. I, I remember hearing something about, you know, it was like, it was almost like they were taking their cues from Godard because it wasn't Godard. Like the guy who invented all these crazy ways of moving the camera around that nobody had done before. And
2: probably, um, cause for years, basically it was like, put the camera on sticks and that's the end of it. Right. <laughs>
1: so, okay, good. Uh, let's talk about this, uh, title sequence.
2: Um, the reason why I hate this title sequence so much is because I understand this is where everyone got their ponchos and that's like a big part of the movie. But the other big part of the movie is that one of the tourists, Is this girl who takes pictures. She's just taking a bunch of pictures. And they're acting like this ordeal of them running out of the bus in the rain is from her pictures. Right. But she's one of the people running around.
1: Okay. With her
2: camera hanging around her neck. So how is she taking these pictures? So this is just me, like, nitpicking. But, like, that's always bothered me. It's like, come on. Like, Really? Well, and you know, we, we have to make sure that we, we
1: also mentioned that this version of the film that we're reviewing is the most recently released Blu-ray. Yes. I did Um, that version. And you, that's the one you watched. I and did. so it's, it's, imp, it's not necessarily that important, but it's probably uh, a little important. I'm terrible with words. I, I have the biggest words. I have the best words like the president. Um, uh,
2: well, you sound just like him right now, so keep going.
1: <laughs> I'm, um, I'm really a smart
2: guy. I, I, I'm a smart guy.
1: I think that there is a little bit of a time shift um, compared to the previous version that we've watched. Um, I watched both back-to-back, and you can tell the pitch of the, of the opening theme is a little bit lower And if I look at the total running time between the orange version that we've been watching for years um, and this new version, the new version is a little longer. So it is a little bit on the slower side than what I remember. Um, And, you know, the thing about the opening credits is it's interesting. Interesting. It's um, riveting. It's it's unique in that the opening credits highlight something that's going to happen later in the movie. Um, it's almost like a, a cue to, you know, the idea that there's going to be this one big moment in the movie that we're going it's to focus on. It's not
2: that big moment. It's not, though. Right. That's, that's what's weird. It's just like, hey, we got all these shots of all these, like, Paper mache heads that are really scary. We should go this route. Well, but
1: they went, you know, eventually they go back there and that's where one of the characters gets killed. And I guess what I wanted to say about the opening credits was, oh, um, when I was a kid, I loved those fucking dark, they were called dark rides. Yeah. They were at like the carnivals and... I used to love them. Like it was just like, there were black lights and glow in the darks and it was stupid. And you knew that it was fake and dumb, but you loved it anyway. And it um, smelled
2: like piss and you didn't care.
1: Up, absolutely. Yeah. And there was, there was one down at the beach where, dude, I swear to God. Um, when I was a kid, there was a dark ride down at the beach in New Jersey called Dante's Inferno. And there was this giant demon, um, who was protruding from the top of the ride. And every so often he would spit like smoke, but it wasn't smoke. It was like steam or something. But when you got in line to get on the ride, the artwork that they had painted on the outside of the ride was so gruesome. It was like devils. And there were people in these seas of fire. And the the devil had like this, this uh, sickle and the sickle was coming through somebody's eyeball and, and, Dude, it was so yeah, violent shit anymore. And you know, they've totally redone it. Like if you go down there now, the ride is still there. Uh it's called Dante's Dungeon now. Um and the demon is still out there breathing fire every once in a while, but the artwork is completely redone and it's totally tame and everything, but anyway, I guess that was one of the you know, I I I, I always think about the fact that, you know, the as as we evolve as humans just like you were saying it's less and less you 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 need less and less skill to be a cinematographer because of the technology i seem to feel like you can apply that same theory to what used to excite us back then compared to now um if i took my kids to one of those dark rides they'd be like this is stupid dad yeah you know or if I e- even showing what was the movie I showed my son the other day where he was like, oh, my God, that CGI is terrible. Oh, you know, I can't I can't remember what it was. But, you know, one time we watched the old version of Clash of the Titans and he was just like, dude, seriously, dad, you know, this is awful. Um, but. it Back then in 1975, sitting in this little dark ride with all these little paper mache demons was actually kind of scary and fun right
0: yeah yeah so
1: so we have the opening credits we have the main theme it's a really good theme by bruno nicolai
2: it which gets stuck i in- will say on if you have spotify this um is the only real Jalo soundtrack that they have on spotify oh wow so if you just look up bruno nicolai you could listen to the whole thing but like that's basically all they have which is very annoying. But yeah. Well,
1: and and that brings me to my next point, which is if you are paying attention to the soundtrack, there is really only three main musical themes that just get repeated over and over. Yeah. Um, and that that kind of pisses me off, unfortunately, because like if you get the eyeball soundtrack, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if that it's anything other than you know, the same theme, but maybe a little bit slower. And then this yeah. one doesn't, you know, this one doesn't have a drum in the background or something.
2: Yeah. I mean, all the songs that are on it, which aren't many are good, but there is like four different versions of the main theme. Right. And that's like, cause I think the other, um, oh, uh, case of the bloody iris. Right. Like that thing is just like the one theme over and over again in a bunch yep. of different ways. And then like some like,
0: nah, 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 nah.
2: like, <laughs> it's just like, fucking hell. Like you take like one of the best themes of all time and just ruin it with the sound. Yeah.
1: Right. Because but, yeah, uh, every, every other scene, it starts again. I think seven bloodstained orchids is like that too. Yeah. Um, but the, but the pictures that we see, like you were saying, there's, there's, intercut with this first person view of this dark ride in the theme park, which you don't really know anything about. It just seems like this weird intro um, with that theme going on interspersed with that moving camera um, or moving film. We have these stills of these people coming off a bus in the rain with red ponchos. And if you, if you pay close attention, they show the same stills
2: over and over again. Yeah. Um, they
1: repeat them over and over.
2: So, And you could tell because the cowboy guy can't figure out how to get a poncho on. <laughs> and he <laughs> always has this look on his face like, Whoa? "What? what? <laughs> so it's just like, it, it is what it is. But um, you're talking about Mr. I, Hamilton. Yeah. I know, I know everybody's name. I think it's mainly just to show or to like, beat into your head that everyone has one of these ponchos. And yeah. that's going to come up.
1: Yeah, that comes up a lot. And I'll tell you what, one of the other things I noticed about this film is that they threw so many different, like, ideas of trying to figure out the answer with the clues. There are so many clues that lead nowhere. Um, it's It's overwhelming how much, like, information they're trying to like throw at you to like try and figure out the answer. It's to, so to fun. The it's um, so all right. So the credits are over. We see the, uh, the Paris airport and we see this woman with red hair. She's uh, she wants to go to New York city. She changes her mind at the last minute and decides to go to Barcelona instead. Um, and then later on we see her in the plane um, and she takes some medicine. The woman brings her some water Um, We're supposed to notice that she took a pill. You know, they make a big thing out of that. Yeah. Um, And my only question to you for for discussion of this is because we don't know who this person is yet. um, Yeah. Back in the seventies, was it really that easy to just change your flight to go somewhere else?
2: Yeah. So you can't do that now. No, I've heard, um, and this goes back to wrestling podcasts and wrestling knowledge. Um, that would come in handy eventually. Yeah. Some companies would pay for your flights back and forth right? and you couldn't get them. Um, like some people would try to figure out ways to like milk more money out of the promotion. So what you would do is you would go, um, and change the flight to something else, change that flight to something else and then um, get your ticket refunded. And by that time, instead of it going back on the company credit card, because you've changed your flight so many times, you get the cash from it. Oh, a little scam, I see. Yeah, so like, I know that's something that if you could do it in the 80s, you probably could have done it in the 70s. But what's more important here is (laughs) the outfit that the stewardess is wearing not this oh. herself because she like looks like she should be thrown out of the plane but this in blu-ray okay this in hd beaming <laughs> hd that stewardess outfit popped so much i thought i was watching a different movie
1: but wait i'm trying to i'm i i need to remind myself which stewardess are we talking about inside the plane or the one at the uh,
2: check out no, okay. she comes and she's like, hey, I have your water, miss. Miss, yeah. you ordered some water. And she's like, oh, yes, I did. I need to take my pill now. So, <laughs> um, but like that stewardess outfit was the most like. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, okay. Like what the fucking hell out of a shower curtain is that thing? It was gorgeous. It's just, I loved it.
1: It's such a weird scene, too, because uh, the woman who's sitting in the seat, she's just staring off into space. And she comes over and she says, didn't you want some water? And then she goes, oh, OK. And then she, and, you know, and, and then she takes her pill and the woman walks away.
2: Are you talking about the girl sitting next to her? Girl sitting next to her is just it's just got this weird look on her face. She's like, I'm supposed to be at a Ramones concert. What the hell is <laughs> going on now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she's just like oh
1: yeah yeah. Okay, so after this, we go to a very important scene, which is we're introducing all of the people that we're going to be spending the next hour and a half with. Yeah. Um, they're riding in the tour bus in Barcelona.
2: Oh and sorry, what did you say? I'm sorry. No, just that the dub for what is it, Mr. Hamilton, when the chicks like. You know, Spain, Italy. Who cares? America's not that great. And he's like, "Oh my god!" Like,
0: he's gonna he, calls commu-
1: he calls her a he calls you a communist. <laughs> <right>. Was <What> <laughs> you a communist? Communist, are you? Oh man! Like, well, here's it's so the pro-
0: funny. Here's the done. problem.
1: Here's the problem that I have with. This is one of the problems I have with the movie. So we have Paulette, who's by herself. Yeah. Um, we have Naiba and Lisa, uh, who are the lesbian couple. Yeah. And then we have this this guy who uh, is referred to as Romy. Okay? He's the one who's there with the video camera on the bus. Yeah. Now,
0: it never comes I-
1: up d- again.
2: What's that? The video camera never comes up again.
1: No, no, not not once. You're right. And that would have... If he had been filming with that, we would have yeah. had moving... We would have had moving pictures of the killer in, instead of just a snapshot.
0: <laughs>
1: uh... <laughs> But on IMDb, they credit him as his character's name is Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y. But he's never called Robbie. He's called Romy.
2: Yeah.
1: And his wife is Gail. And then here's the other thing that they do in the film that really fucking confused the shit out of me the first
2: couple of times I watched it. They have two young girls. I was going to say the exact same thing, dude. <laughs> oh,
0: it's
2: so it's annoying. Penn. One's
1: named Jenny. They're both there with their parental guardian types. But there's a scene on the bus where um, Martinez is looking at Peggy. And I had to go back and freeze frame so I could make sure I had the right person. Peggy was wearing an American flag t-shirt. And Jenny was wearing a white hat. But the way that they edited this thing together, they showed Jenny... From her, you know, from her feet up to her head, and then they show Martinez who's looking at her, and then two seconds later they show somebody with a uh, with the white hat on who looks almost the same, and that one was Jenny, and I think they were you were supposed to think that, were you supposed to think that both of them were were young kids type
2: girls? I don't know what the fuck you were supposed to think, but one of them had pigtails the whole time, right?
1: Right. Right.
2: <laughs> okay. See, I didn't even know that. I thought they were the same person. Like, I've seen this movie, like, I don't even know how many times. And I always thought, like, when, okay, this is cutting ahead, but one of them dies. Right. And I always thought, like, wait a second. And then the next scene when you see the other one, you're like, didn't she just die? But then I always said, oh, oh well and just went on with it but in the new like super crisp version right for some reason it's even more obvious that it's fucking confusing
1: yeah <laughs> i know you're right
2: <laughs> it's
1: totally confusing i had to dude i had to go back and forth a couple of times until i figured out that so jenny um sorry peggy her last name is randall and her parents are there, Mr. and Mrs. Randall. They don't have the first girl teams. with no eyebrows. Uh I don't know. There her was Her mom they, has they, no eyebrows.
2: She looks it, like a burnt
1: skull. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yes, they <laughs> they left halfway through the movie. They got on the plane right. and left. Right. Okay. But then there's Jenny and his his her uh sorry, her grandfather
2: is the guy with the cowboy hat. Or the straw hat, the the oh my god, we're <laughs> right. oh, communist. Like, whenever he talks, just know there's going to be a lot of words thrown in. Probably more words than his mouth is actually moving. But it's like, rah, 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 got me no vote. What? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I have that. I have a little footnote on that, on that moment. But towards the very end. When they're sitting there uh, at the flamenco thing, and his granddaughter decides tells him that she's tired, she's gonna and she's gonna go to bed, and he yes. turns to her, and he doesn't say anything; he just nods his head. And the English dub is like, "Oh, <laughs>
2: It's like fucking Boom Howard dude. You know? <laughs> oh, it's so it, but this is kind of the shit that is endearing. Okay, you know, yeah. like it's awful. I'm hoping, like you, that, I'm hoping I'm hoping
1: that giggled, you can you know I'm hoping that you can persuade me on this because after I got through this version, um, and I probably just shouldn't have done it scene by scene because I was going to be disappointed, um, by picking it apart that much. I need to I need to be to I need to be re uh enthusi- enthused about why this is such a great film because um, you don't have to do it on buying. um.
2: um I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great film.
1: Okay. So they get to the hotel. It's called the Clipper hotel.
0: Yeah. Which Um,
1: is still there, I think. Okay. And, uh, it's not really that remarkable of a scene, except for the fact that Paulette has a call from Paris. And if we're putting two and two together, don't forget that the hotel Paris, or I'm sorry, the air airport Paris was in that first scene. So what the hell does that mean? Um, But Lindsay makes it interesting because the attendant who took the message only spoke to the operator. So we have no idea if it was a man or a woman who called from Paris. It could have been Mark or it could have been Alma. We don't know. Um, And then Peggy This is the first scene where Martinez scares Peggy with the with the mouse. Yeah.
2: Because um, he just carries weird little furry animals in his pockets all day. just
1: happens to, where he can wind them up and, and hand them off and, and, uh, and scare young girls with it.
2: And then yeah. laugh. And then get crash-zoomed.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so then they go to this place called La Rambla. I looked this up. The Ramblas, they kept referring to it as the Ramblas. It's this basic... It's this big... Stretch of street in Barcelona. It's very famous. It's, it's got outdoor markets in it, and that's where they go. Um, and that's the scene where we hear the Mister Mister Hamilton say, "I'm going to boot her rump if I catch her spooning with a boy." Probably be on rump. Whatever that even means. I'll tell you what it means. <laughs> um, I didn't know that the word spooning could have been used way back in '75 to describe,
2: you know, interplay between. Dude, people have been putting spoons on top of spoons and drawers since drawers were invented. Yeah, I guess you're right. So, so people, people spoon. You know, like that's how they do it. Why? Why do they spoon? Women spoon. Why do they spoon? All right, because you know <laughs> things happen after the spooning starts. So, so explain uh... this to you. It's really it's not that <laughs> complicated. <laughs> so. I'm just going to move on.
1: Uh, (laughs) Um, Okay. So we, so we hear Lisa regard the uh, chrysanthemums as the flowers of death for some reason. And then um, there's this local couple. We don't know who they are. They're hanging out and they're about to like make out. And she's like, no, there's people around. I'll see you later. Um, She walks down. All of a sudden she picks up the chrysanthemum on the ground and says hey is this yours and we got this point of view of this killer and she gets murdered um and what uh lindsey does what, what lindsey obviously does after she gets murdered is takes makes the effort to show you who is showing up onto the scene and what in what sequence yeah the priest shows up first and then we see um Ro, uh Romy. Uh, and then Paulette. Um, and the last time we saw Paulette, she had glasses on, and now she doesn't. So that's weird. Um, and here's this dead girl um, with her eyes stabbed out. Um, all of a sudden, Mark appears, and he's like, we've got to get out of here. Um, and she's like, how did you find me? And we don't know who this person is yet. Um, and did you notice at the very end of the scene, the camera pans up from the body to show that she had died on a tombstone. And I'm wondering why they did that. Unless it was just one of those things like, Hey, let's, let's end the scene with this nice camera upward pan. I don't
2: know. I don't think I noticed that. I, I think that this scene works like they go into that, that weird little area. That's not quite where everything else is. All that stuff works. I think what was a missed opportunity is that it was no one from the party. They got killed. Yeah. It was just some random person in Italy. Right. And for the cops to be so uppity about this group that early on, I think it's kind of weird that... I don't know. Like that whole thing has always sat a little weird with me.
0: Well,
1: at what point, um, I mean, I know that the police are brought in, um, and they introduce them with, you know, the old, old guard versus the new guard, you know? Yeah.
2: Um, the Danny Glover lethal weapon thing.
1: Well, it reminded me of seven. Remember, um, Brad Pitt and Morgan Friedman. Like, God, yeah,
2: it's got a week to go. and Yeah, but that's not as funny as, like, <laughs> I'm a too old for this shit. No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's definitely funnier. Your reference is, is
1: more comical, in which, which this film desperately needs. So, But did the police get involved with this group of tourists before the second murder? Because I don't remember them, you know. So, uh, you know. Uh, What happens immediately after this scene is Mark and Paulette are on this rooftop and they're talking about their relationship and they discuss Alma and they talk about how she's supposed to be going to New York. Oh, oh. And here's the thing that I was I'm very proud of for this podcast. Uh, I don't know about you. But I decided to count how many times they f- mentioned fucking Burlington, Vermont
2: in this movie. Oh, my God. It's 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 insane. It's, it's, you know, back in Burlington. Hey, I know him. He's from Burlington. From Bur- Everybody's from Burlington.
1: And Burlington is no big deal. It's not like a big deal. But it's a big deal to them because they're that. all from Burlington. But no one ever heard of Burlington. It's not a famous city or
2: anything. And, you know
1: i guess it's just because it's the
2: united states they needed to mention it so i want to say that on this rooftop encounter both of their hair is looking awfully greasy and shitty but paulette's hair looks like a dead wet rat it is Uh, awful i'm looking at it now (laughs) it is so bad
1: her hair is terrible and in fact there's only a couple of scenes, but there's a couple of scenes in the movie where she has it pulled back and she looks a thousand times better. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, that's interesting about this movie is that there's so much product placement going on.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: in the rooftop scene, they're drinking something called uh, Cezano, yeah. which is vermouth, um, but there's a Cezano ashtray, and it, throughout the movie – I noticed that there's ashtrays everywhere with product placement
2: on them. Yeah. <laughs> and I great. mean, the airplane, the Pan Am bag. Yeah. Um, the J and B holler. And there was just a ton of it in this for real.
1: Now, I wonder, like back in the 70s, because you put that stuff in your movie and not have to worry about paying people or. Or it's not even that you would pay people is like you would get you would get money from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the sponsors, but do you think that they were getting any money from the from all these sponsors if, to advertise in their movie?
2: Honestly, if the because as time has gone by, um, I have read more and more about how corrupt the Italian film industry was with like money from um, nefarious means. And okay. if a lot of these big companies are also nefarious means companies. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. We're talking about the Italians, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> that there might have been kind of a lot of uh, stuff like that.
1: It was like some a little bit of an organized crime aspect to it. Yes. Where it was like, and, you know, you, you need to make sure that you put my... You do a little in your bit movie of this,
2: and I'll do a little bit of that. Right. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind gotcha. of
1: thing. So it wasn't as regulated as it is now, but it was still oh, something that happened. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So what we basically find out in this scene is that Paulette and and Mark are lovers, but that Mark is still married to someone named Alma. And again, we haven't put it I don't think you're so expected to put it together that Alma that they're talking about is the woman from the beginning. Yeah, that doesn't come um, until later. I mean, there's no direct connection to it. And you watch it for the second or third or fourth time and you know that that's who it is. Um, but anyway, she's supposed to be going to New York because she has this mental illness and Paulette doesn't want to get involved with Mark until Paulette or uh, and, until Alma is is has been cured of whatever psychic psychiatric problems she has
0: or put Uh, away
1: or put away yeah um so next scene uh we're in police headquarters with Tudela. is that his name
2: the guy that Uh, looks like beef jerky with gold hair yeah the old guy yes
1: (laughs) and then then, then... a
2: guy who hasn't retired yet has an amazing tan (laughs) yeah yeah exactly well they're in
1: italy come on or no, I mean they're in Barcelona. It's, uh, the sun always shines there, I guess. Yeah. Um, I noticed on the calendar that it said uh, it was July 14th, but it also said Domingo, which means Sunday in Spanish, which means that they were working on a Sunday. So um, I don't know if that's, if that's legit or if that's just a, a coincidence. Um, but basically it was in the month of Julio, was it not? julio yes exactly july so they're talking about how uh tudela is going to retire and be a trout fisherman um and then they get a call about the first victim um and then there's an autopsy room scene and the only reason i noticed that was because they were talking about um the blade came in at a high angle And while they're saying that the camera is up way high in that scene, and I don't know if that was done on purpose, but probably, um, and then, oh, I, okay. So I know what it is. The cops have a report, um, because Reverend so-and-so, uh, was, was heard screaming or something, uh, or no, I'm sorry. The, no, he wasn't heard screaming. He reported heard, that he, he heard the screaming, but he didn't yeah. actually see the murder. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's the other problem with Reverend. What the fuck is his name? Reverend, um, yeah. Ronson. Yeah. So they call him a minister. They call him a reverend, but he's a fucking priest. And only in one part of the whole movie, does somebody call him father. But again, that's the problem with the dubbing in this movie. It's just, yeah. it's all over the place. Um, But, uh, so let's see, we go back to the Clipper hotel and, um, there's this really cool, um, shot that Lindsay does or whoever, where it starts on, um, one of the characters, but it zooms out. And then once it's done zooming, you have every one of the characters in the shot all at the same time. And I thought that was pretty cool, actually.
0: Yeah.
2: Um,
1: there's these weird drawings on the back wall. Um, Paulette and Mark come in uh they start talking about Burlington. Um oh and, and, and Gail, that's Romy's wife. Gail. She, she tells the priest that she and Alma went to school together. Yeah. Um so that was supposed to be some sort of red herring, right? Like a you know well um, the
2: other thing about this too in the Blu-ray definition, when I first saw this with the orange copy um, I used to think she was quite the looker and high def. She's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, she is. <laughs> uh, so that kind of killed that. So yeah. uh, was, Lisa,
1: I think Lisa is probably the prettiest one in the group. Which one? She, she's the redheaded lesbian.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: yes. So, um, well, and then Alma is pretty hot too. So. She's only on screen for a few minutes Um Okay And then uh, We have another scene where Martinez has this Fake bug
2: that he tries to Scare the girls with Um, But you forgot the best bit Which was Explaining how promotions Work Oh, (laughs) What's a promotion You know that stuff Everyone (laughs) Yeah everyone's like what a promotion a promotion, promotion. <laughs> but here's the but i guess here's the other
1: thing why is it that it seems like everybody in the tour group is from the same place
2: because they probably came over on a groupon thing <laughs> like i'm <not> being <laughs> funny like i'm serious like there was probably some travel agency in burlington that was like hey have this great three weeks in Spain where absolutely no one will be murdered.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> blah. <laughs>
2: and Burlington is a very small town, apparently.
0: It,
1: yeah. Well, it kind of is actually, I looked it up cause I've been to Vermont, but I've never been to Burlington. I thought I was in Burlington, but I went to a place called Killington, Vermont,
2: which is where they have a skiing um, and that would just be two on the nose if they were all from Killington.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that they, they couldn't use that one
2: because no, that's no,
1: like no. Killington. Yeah. Oh,
2: uh, okay. Uh,
1: so then they go to this place called Tibidado, Tibidado. Yeah. Tibidado. It's the amusement park. Um, again, I looked this up because I hear them say these words and I'm like, wait a minute, this is probably a real place in Barcelona. Let me look it up. Um, Jenny calls it the Coney Island. Barcelona's Coney Island, right? So um, this is where Martinez hands out all the ponchos. Um, They get off the bus, and then all of a sudden it stopped raining, and Lisa decides to go back to the bus for another roll of film, and Naiba and Peggy go into the dark ride. Now, after they go into the dark ride, Lindsay, again, tries to make sure that he shows you where everybody is. So we see Gail. We see Romy. We see Paulette. We see Mr. Hamilton. We see Jenny. Uh, and we see Mr. and Mrs. Randall. They're all in that arcade thing. Doing various things with you know whatever the the, the, the attractions were there. Um, yeah. And then they show Martinez out by the bus. We don't know where the Reverend is. We haven't seen him. Um, and then we have the murder sequence inside the dark ride. Um And it's pretty well done. It's pretty kind of it's kind of scary. Um, They keep showing that skull and then they intersperse the skull with the gloved hand and the dagger. Uh, And that's the other thing. In the first murder, we see the red gloves with a dagger. Uh, And in this one, we see the red glove with a dagger. But do we see the poncho this time?
2: Yeah, you could. You don't see the front of it, but you can see that the arm is not a poncho. I think. I don't think you see the front of it.
1: Okay. Yeah, because that was the thing that I was paying attention to the the idea that you know the poncho is a clue, but the killer didn't have a poncho bef- you know, for the first murder. So. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Peggy's murdered, and again, Mark appears out of nowhere. Uh, the Reverend appears, and then Mark finds a uh, that fake bug in Peggy's hand at the end of the scene. Um, back at the hotel, we now see the cops. Uh, they've they've come in to talk about the fact that both murders are from the same person. Um, And then they start talking about this murder in Burlington. And this is the fourth time someone has mentioned Burlington in the movie so far. I'm keeping track. Um, They bring Martinez in uh, because of this toy spider bug thing that was going on. Um, (laughs)
2: he, He lost it yesterday. What's that? He says he lost it yesterday. And then the other little girl, she's like, You're a murderer. You want us to pee our pants.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He, yeah. he loved he loved watching her squirm. Okay. Um, now I have another question for you. These are all these weird dubbing things that I picked up. The next scene is the, the girls, the lesbian girls. And Lisa says to Naiba, Your lease is waiting. At least that's what I got from it. And I went back and listened to it a couple of times. I'm like, what is she talking about? She's sitting on the bed with no clothes on. And she says, your lease is waiting. And then they get into a fight.
2: Over her... um, What's the redhead's name? Lisa. Lisa. She thinks Lisa had a... Crush on the little girl who got her eyes stabbed out on the ride, which is just weird and creepy, right? And
1: then, and then she's like slaps her or something, and then they make up
2: very awkwardly,
1: yeah, very, very, very weird. Um, well, and so this is like the trend now, so we're back at the Clipper Hotel, um. Lindsay just gives us everybody sitting in their room. So we go from Lisa and Naiba, then we go to Gail and Romy's room. Um,
2: Romy and thinks that this was th- this was Tenebrae before tenebrae. Everything's all white and icy. Yeah. That's a good that's a very good point. I was gonna bring that up too. It's not
1: it's not the kind of movie that where there's a lot of darkness, and a lot of shadows, and it's very it's very lit up. And in fact Um, I have notes down a little bit further down, but there's a couple of scenes where the hallway looks exactly like the hallway from Slaughter Hotel. And and I'm thinking they use the sound, the same studio. Um, It's like the hotel lobby um, where they've got doors on either on either side of the screen. And then there's a, a back, a back wall with a curtain.
2: Yeah. And those damn ball lamps are amazing.
1: Yeah, everybody has a ball lamp. Well, one of the things I noticed was that everybody has a ball lamp, but they also
2: have a really shitty chair. And the beds look shit. Yeah. It's yeah. like someone raided an Ikea. Now, here's the question.
1: They filmed everybody's room in that one room, right? Probably. I mean, they, they didn't want to dress up multiple rooms that looked the same. They didn't need to do that.
2: Well, I think, like, um, Lisa's room was set up different than all the other rooms. And that might just be because of the whole bathroom to bedroom okay. setup that they have. Like, when she's in there developing the film and you see the killer... Yes. background so that might have been a different room but I think all the other rooms were the same right? Um, especially when Mr. Hamilton for some stupid ridiculous reason decides he's not going to shave but take <laughs> his razor into his kids room and be like just really creepy for no reason
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep I have that written down right here yep
0: uh,
1: why did he do that It just I mean, it was just Lindsay just set these up these situations to say, "Okay, you're trying to figure out who the killer is. So let me put all these people in these weird situations where
2: you're trying to figure out who the killer is. And so am I. Yeah. Good luck. (laughs) I don't have any idea yet. So Romy thinks it's
1: Martinez. Oh, but here. okay. so I don't know if you remember the scene, but Romy and Gail are talking and Romy says something about how he doesn't want to leave until he goes to the place where he sees where he got wounded in the war. Dude, that scene
2: has to be a <laughs> fucked up dub. It <laughs> makes no sense no, whatsoever. No. Me and Zoe were watching it and she's like, What the fuck just happened? What is he talking about? And then she's like, ha 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 ha. ha. And it's like, what? Like, and if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the movie yet and you're confused, that's exactly how the scene plays out. Right. It makes no sense. Nothing happens. Like, the only thing I can think of is that maybe he talks about it so much that she's tired of it, but they don't, like, play that up. They don't, like, set that up. See, I I got,
1: I, I read so much more into it than that. I thought that when she was making fun of him, about his war wound and then he goes what are you inferring and i thought that the whole idea was she was inferring that maybe Romy is the murderer because he's coming back to spain and he's got this chip on his shoulder because he got wounded in the war and now he's killing people but that's that's not that's that's really like far
2: that's right. what you're gonna do you need to really lay that out <laughs> Like, we can't read her mind, even though half of her bleach has probably melted her brain. Like, (laughs) like, that was just the most awkward... That's probably, like, the worst, like, scene in the movie. Like, just for, like, a scene that makes no sense, doesn't set anything up, doesn't take you anywhere. Like, if that scene was supposed to cast some sort of creepiness on him I think right. the next day what they do does a way better job of that like that scene probably shouldn't even have been in the movie it doesn't move the plot along it doesn't do anything
1: no no it doesn't and
2: the next, but I also scene... think that might have been a bad dub like right. in Italian that might have been like oh that makes sense yeah well
1: you know what that's a really good point like i i'm always under the, insum- the assumption that somebody wrote a script in a particular language and then when they do the dubbing they try to translate the script into that language but maybe it's l- a lot less uh, specific than that maybe it's like okay we have these the scene with these two people and we need an english version so make up some fucking words to put in here yeah i don't i don't know if that's <laughs> That's what they did you know obviously in certain situations the, the script you know in the english version of the script it matches what you think is going on
2: but... do you remember the documentary that had the voice actors that did a lot of the dubbing no. talk about how half the time they had no idea what was being talked about in a scene so they just made it up if anyone out there knows what documentary i'm talking about um I would love some help. Yeah, that would be great to hear. That was awesome. That was like just one of the best things I've ever seen.
1: So they basically said like we were given a scene with no script and two people talking and we just had to figure it out.
2: Well, yeah. And then if I recall correctly, a lot of the times they do the dubbing, they don't know Italian. So someone's there to tell them like,
1: oh, okay.
2: Roundabout about what to say I see or somebody
1: describing the scene but they yeah. don't know what the Italian is
2: but then I remember someone saying it, there were some times when like we forgot a scene or something and we would go back and no one was there to help us so we just kind of would watch what they were doing and just make up our own little bit and then just start laughing at the end of it like that's how they killed time Oh my gosh, it's driving me crazy. I wish I could remember what that was. That's awesome. I would love to watch that.
1: All right. So um, the only other thing that's important is that um, in Reverend Bronson's room, he's got a picture in his Bible of him with a bunch of students. And I guess we're supposed to remember that because it comes up at the very, very end. Um, which And I don't understand what it has to do with anything, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, then in Paulette's room, Mark comes in and he calls New York and he finds out that Alma isn't there. He calls Burlington. This is the fifth mention of Burlington. Um, I guess he's calling their house. No one answers there. Uh, he has a bad feeling about this. He goes back to the Rhombus, to the scene of the first murder, and then uh, the girl who gets Kill their boyfriend shows up and chases him away um but reverend bronson just happens to be there and happens to have a message for mark that says that his wife is at the hotel presidente um so mark goes to the hotel presidente and then there's this weird thing where again i don't know if it, it originally i do not know if it was a dubbing issue but he he goes to the hotel he asks for mrs Burton. And there's no Mrs. Burton, and so he says, "Oh, I mean Foster. Burton is her maiden name." So, uh, what's the deal with Mark uh, saying that Foster is her, that Burton was her maiden name? I didn't understand that.
2: Like, I honestly think Foster is probably the maiden name, Can and she
1: registered. She registered under Foster.
2: Yeah. But so then he, like how would he know that? He he he
1: knew to to ask well you know if we're skipping ahead and revealing the the the, the secret, somebody else registered. Yeah. It wasn't even Alma. So no. how did that other person know it was Foster? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I thought it was a dubbing issue where he said, um, I thought it was a lost in translation kind of thing where he said, Oh, um, um, Burton is her maiden name. But really what he meant was B- Burton is her married name. And I, th- I just thought it was a dubbing issue. But it turns out later on that he knew to ask for her maiden name because he figured that she'd use a different name or something.
2: Yeah, because when she's like, why don't you just go to the cops? And he's like, I can't. Uh,
1: right. Well, <laughs> the whole thing about Mark Dealing little bits of information about what he's doing to Paulette, yeah, which is really fucking aggravating. Like,
2: well, it's he, aggravating once you know the story and like what he, once you know, like who the killer is and everything, because everything he says and does pisses her off more because right? yeah. shit that she didn't know in the first place. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you're just, like, poking the bear now. Like what do yeah, you... yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, he
1: tries to go into her hotel room. The shower is on for some reason. Um, there's a picture of him with Alma. Now we can finally say, hey, that's the woman from the beginning.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: there's a bloody dagger on the floor. Mark picks it up. And now I we should... have a... As you do, as you do, and yeah. you put your hands all over it, you touch the blood and everything. Yeah. Um. Then we have this flashback sequence of Alma laying by this
2: pool, holding the dagger. Um. And then you have the Argento. God, there's something I just. That uh,
1: that comes later. He definitely does. He definitely goes through that thing. Like I know there's something about that. What happened if we're, if, if we're jumping ahead where he talks about he's, he's talking to Paulette about uh, when he found the body or when he found Alma. And he said, you remember, I was driving a Plymouth back then. or something. <laughs> I think it was a Pontiac. Was or like, a yeah, Pontiac. I was driving a Pontiac. A Pontiac. And, I, and, you know, they did that so that the next scene you see this that particular type of car driving up and you're like, OK, it's Mark, you know. We know we're going to a flashback here. Uh, Lenzi did not have any faith in his viewers whatsoever. He was like, okay.
2: And again, I think that's the dubbing. I think they were like, okay, do we just sit here and not say anything? No, let's, hey, remember? <laughs> I had to do yet. And I had that nicely cut, fresh green lawn. And like most people, my swimming pool's in the front yard. Like, Dude, if that's what really happened, uh,
1: it, it makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they had to they had to do something because you have these you have this silent video of these two actors talking to each other
0: yeah. and they have
1: no idea what to say. And they know that the next scene is <laughs> this car with the Plymouth. You remember I was driving a Pontiac back then or
2: whatever. Remember I used to do my grocery shopping all by myself? <laughs> the, the bags were always really heavy, so I would always have to put them down in the nice green grass whenever I walked up. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. The, the,
1: the thing is, I don't want to believe that that's what happened, but that's probably what happened.
0: That's hysterical, dude. Uh,
1: all right. So they go to this next thing, this next place. It's like this little out of the way restaurant kind of thing. Um, and again, we just get Lindsay giving us the location of everybody you know, uh, Mr. Hamilton sitting at the bar with a
2: beer. Um, the Reverend is walking around. And this is uh, the worst vacation I could ever imagine.
1: It's pretty bad.
2: Like, right? they're like, hey, our next stop, Dirt Town. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hang out with some pigs in the mud.
0: <laughs> dirt, yeah.
2: And,
1: and so just as confusing as the initial scene is with the two different girls on the bus this scene is confusing because Romy is looking at some girl bending over who's washing clothes. And then there's a different local girl who goes to feed the pigs and gets killed. Yeah. And at first I thought it was the same person, but it wasn't. Um, this is the third murder by the killer. We don't see a poncho this time. um, Romy and Mr. Hamilton are not uh, around, but the big scene here is where Gail looks to, and sees Paulette washing her shoes in the fountain. Um, when the police show up, um, somehow they know. They, they, how did they know that this person got killed, by the way? Like, they just show up there. In the, aren't messenger
2: they in the middle pigeon. of nowhere? I, I think it was a messenger pigeon. Okay, like, But the other thing that was funny about this, when the body falls down, it falls down on the outside of the pen, and yeah. it keeps showing these shots where the body's inside the pen, getting eaten by pigs. Outside yeah. of the pen, not getting eaten by pigs. Inside of the pen, getting eaten by pigs. It's I just like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Where's the body? Like... <laughs> I definitely noticed that. I'm like, wait a minute. Because, <laughs> like, if... She didn't go into the pig pen. Her shoes probably aren't going to be covered in mud. Right. So. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, and, th- and then that's
1: the thing. Like there's all of these weird, you know, where they try to be. It, it, I think it tries in some of these scenes like this scene. And then some scenes later on, it tries to be very like poliziotesco Tesco about it, where they're, you know, the being very matter-of-fact about the logic of why Paulette would have mud on her shoes. Um, and, and and none of it makes any sense. It's not logical at all. But I remember the, the one cop says something like, okay, well, she was walking in dirt, and then she washed them, and that's why there's mud on them. And I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, you know, if you're going to walk
2: around here, your shoes are going to get dirty. So that's... And then couldn't you look into the pig pen and see if there's like platform heels like <laughs> I... in the mud, like footprints? Like, right. I would be more concerned about footprints than if homegirl washed a shoe. Right. Like, those weren't like just like sneakers, you know? No,
1: like, no. They were like strappy platforms. Yeah. Yeah. And she just and she always carries a second pair, just in case. You know? Who doesn't? Never know.
2: Well, Mark what's, discovers what's funnier than this is that Romy like is all cut and beat up because he apparently said something and then kind of grabbed the girl. Right. The other girl. And his wife isn't pissed off about it. Like she might be a little like <laughs> He tries to pull that shit in Burlington all the time. Obviously. I, I mean, you know, it, this is
1: this is the way it is back then. That's what yeah, the, you know, good. the husbands with the wandering eyes. I don't think they have a very good marriage. Let's just say it, you know. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's call it
2: what it is, you know. She They've been fighting probably, the whole time. She probably married him when he had a full head of hair.
1: Right. And she thought yeah. he was cool because he was a war veteran.
2: He probably had a car. <laughs> <laughs> and he had that like, video camera Like a like a, like a Pontiac
1: <laughs> But he kept saying stuff to her like Ah, you're just tired, otherwise you'd be enjoying this <laughs> It's that damn menopause fucking you up <laughs> You're just a ridiculous woman
2: <laughs> Have another cigarette And a drink, you lush <laughs> Hey do you have any tranquilizers? Oh, yeah. I carry them in my bag all the time. Cool, because my wife can't get to sleep. She's a nut. <laughs> oh, by the way, why do you have a straight razor? I ran out of safety blades. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any illegal narcotics? I'm trying to murder my wife and make it look like an overdose. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're jumping around here. <laughs> uh, sorry, <laughs> that, that's
1: okay. That's okay. So... <laughs> um, so, so Forehead Mark, says what? So Mark goes back to the Hotel Presidente finds out that Mrs. Foster quote unquote has checked out and booked a flight to New York um, but she left the photo behind then Mark goes to the airport and they have this weird sequence where Mrs. Foster is getting paged over the intercom to come to the gate because her flight is ready and then there's an attendant in the foreground who takes a phone call and right after she gets off the call mark goes and talks to her and says what about mrs foster and she says oh that was just her she canceled her flight
2: and then he's like where did you get such an awesome helmet (laughs) yeah right she does have an amazing helmet (laughs) uh yeah so that's all weird and then he's, like, walking I'm glad, around. I'm so and,
1: glad you noticed the helmet. Because oh, would,
2: how would I not notice that? It's like, <laughs> is she going to fall out of the plane, and they're afraid she's going to fall on her head? So they want to, like, make sure, like, she doesn't hurt herself. It's bad. What kind of an... I mean, is she a stewardess? What is she? She's. she's I don't she's, know. She could have, like, a beehive hairdo inside that helmet, and it'll be okay. <laughs> it's like a bobby helmet. Like, it's just a big (laughs) helmet. (laughs) But yeah, so there's all sorts of weird shit going on at the airport. So
0: then
1: then Mark runs into Gail out of nowhere and she's there. uh, No, I'm sorry. Yes, she Mark runs into Lisa and she's there. She she says that she's there to see off the
0: no uh, eyebrow lady
1: Randall's. Yes. Yeah. And then Mark does this weird thing where he's like, okay, look um i want you to look at this face i can't tell you who it is he's He's like not me you dumb idiot bitch (laughs) she's like you're very photogenic uh no this other woman i'm not going to tell you who she is i'm not going to tell you why but at some point you'll probably see her and when you do please take her picture again
2: insane i mean i need you to help me do this and then what makes this even funnier is that after she agrees to do this, and they're whispering, they're not screaming at each other,
0: right. but about
2: 75 yards away, you see a red hand come out and <laughs> hold a Pan Am bag, right. which means bag. the killer heard their conversation from a mile and a half away. Exactly. Which means now Lisa is in trouble.
1: Lisa is in trouble and she doesn't know it yet.
2: Nope. I don't know why you'd have to go to the airport to call the airport to tell them you weren't coming to the plane (laughs) because like Mark running into the killer at the airport would have like been the end of the movie. Like how would they have been able to get out of that one?
1: Right. Because again, we're supposed to be thinking this is Alma, but it's not.
2: Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm fucking shit up. No, that's
1: okay. That's okay, because like, look, if you're this far into it, you've probably seen the movie already. <clears throat> um, so now, so now we go back to the uh, we go back to Romy's room real quick, and I just wanted to, to mention that Romy's filling out a crossword puzzle, but it looks like he's got like three letters in every box, and I never heard of anything like that before.
2: I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't notice that. I noticed that I didn't understand the words being written. Yes. Absolutely.
1: But it looks like, you know, in a crossword puzzle, each box is one letter, right?
2: And he was just being sloppy with it.
1: He had three letters in each box. It was crazy. Um I don't I don't know. And then and I'm then he to go back. And then he asks Gail why she went to the Hotel Presidente and she says
2: that's the best hairdresser in Barcelona. Oh, because he checked her matches. Yeah. Because he assumed that she was off gallivanting with some young stud who has not been circumcised.
1: And wasn't injured in the war. Yeah. So we're back at the police station. Uh, The calendar now says July 18th, so four days have gone by. Um and uh inspector lara starts talking about how the eye has meaning and all this other stuff and and uh, the other cop is like look just try to find the dagger don't don't look too far into this um so let's see we go back to mark's room first time we see a jmb bottle so i wanted to mention that um they mention Burlington six and seven times in the scene. Um, <laughs> this, oh, this is the scene where he says, I was driving the Pontiac, remember? Okay. Um, we, we see another shot of, of Alma by the pool. She's holding the dagger, but now we see that on the other side, there's a human eye by her other hand. Um, so And Mark confesses that when he saw this, He grabbed the dagger, he cleaned it off, and he hit it. Um, What did he do with the eyeball? Yeah, there's no mention of what happened to the eyeball.
2: Unbelievable. Um, So so basically, he's trying to cover up his wife's murder spree because he might have been pediddling his doctor's baby.
1: Right, and the dagger has his initials on it.
2: Yeah, because he got that in the war. In
1: Vietnam, correct. Yeah. Now, I wonder if Romy is talking about World War II, because obviously you wouldn't be in Barcelona if you were in the Vietnam War, right? No, he
2: was probably with the Abraham Lincoln Brigade <laughs> and got his ass kicked. <laughs> uh, then they go to the disco. Now
1: That's a great scene because oh, the music, this the music is, is, is awful. so bad. This is awful. But the one thing that I love about this scene, and it's it's kind of a, a throwaway scene, but Lisa and Naiba are fighting again. Naiba wants to dance. Lisa doesn't. Lisa decides that she's going to go find somebody else to dance with. But my favorite part of this whole scene is when it starts, we have this one dude, this one black dude, who's dancing with everybody. Yeah. And then, um, then the dance floor kind of clears out, and Naiba comes in. She's ta- And she's looking at this other girl who's giving her the eye. And they start dancing. And all of a sudden, the black dude comes back again and yeah. starts dancing with them. He's like, hey, I can all
0: get this right, hey, on
2: this. It started, it started again. Let me be over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, but the whole flirting back and forth is cringy at best. Oh, yeah. It's, it's actually, like, for any dudes that are like, oh, yeah, some... Lesbians are at a bar, and then this lesbian's gonna hit on another lesbian. Ooh, la, la. No, dude, this is not sexy. It's not, it's awful. It's very, like, it's awkward. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. It's like, but it does show you how attractive women can just go up to other people and immediately be accepted right yeah
1: oh yeah absolutely it's like uh, having a free pass to do anything yeah well you know and it's and it was awkwardly edited too which kind of just made it even more awkward so it was just like it was just a weird scene um so uh lisa goes back to the room she decides that she's going to develop film in the light even though you're supposed to be in the dark. In her underwear. In her underwear. She had this really nice black teddy. This was like the, probably the sexiest scene in the whole movie. Because um, there wasn't, again, you know, Jallo. I mean, I don't want to be, uh, you know, a, a dirty old man, but part of the reason why we watch the, these Jolly is because there's, we get our jollies from it. <laughs> Making a pun here, but come on. <laughs> that
2: was a good one.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and there's not a lot to look at in this movie. I mean, Paulette is kind of attractive as long as she doesn't have the the, the curls. Um, and Naiba looks weird half the time. Like her face is just really weird. She so, just makes
2: weird faces.
1: Maybe that's what it is.
2: I think that's what it is.
1: So this is like this was like the pinnacle scene of sexiness with Lisa in her black teddy, and the killer comes in. Um, Lisa initially thinks it's Naiba coming home and come on in we've got to make up in the bedroom that's the best place to make up and then the killer sees the picture of Mark and Alma that Mark gave to Lisa and tears it and then attacks Lisa and stabs her and and slashes her throat but I noticed for the first time because this is the first time I've been paying attention to this movie that there was no eye gouging No. because, because the killer isn't trying to do the thing that the killer wants to do for revenge. This is just about, hey, I'm being blackmailed.
2: Well, it's not just that, but Lisa's eyes are brown. Right. Yeah.
1: It's, so this is a blackmail murder, and I wanted to put that in there because the Giallo score used to give points for that. So.
0: Oh.
1: It was a yeah. murder. It, it was this a
2: murder that have a lot of points.
1: It does, actually. I, it yeah. has more than I thought. It. it probably, if I rescored it, it probably has more than I ever gave it. Uh, because later on, um, when they think that Mark is the killer and they hand everybody's passports back to them, that was the mistaken identity criteria. Yeah. The killer has been caught, but not really. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, Naiba comes back, and the killer knocks her over, and then Naiba finds Lisa. Um, and then we have all of these you know again Lindsay does this over and over again in this movie somebody gets murdered and then the
2: next few edits are where is everybody it's so smart like it really is like we could talk shit on this movie all day but like this is all really well done and like the movie the the clues and everything that's happening is better than the it should be for this movie right you know it's 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 rocking we're doing this.
1: and i think it's i think it's partly because when we get towards the end of the film where we're starting to piece the things together to to come come to some sort of cohesive conclusion there's a lot of red herrings that never go anywhere, but they spend time on them. And you're just like, what are you doing with this? Like this 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 particular thing was just, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily throwing me off the trail. Um, um or maybe it was. I don't know. Um we'll see as we get down there. But you know, so so Romy hears the screams, he wakes up, they're in the hallway. Um, Mark shows up as usual. He's um, already so, there when they yeah, get there. He's there when they get there. Um and again, you know, this whole time, <clears throat> if this is your first time through this movie, uh, there's there's something to be said for the fact that maybe it's Mark. Um, you know, they're 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 putting him in situations where it could be him. Yeah. Um, e- even though he's doing all this research and you think that he's trying to pin it on his, his, his wife. Um, but uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Yeah. Um, uh okay so outside the hotel they find a red poncho on the ground with
2: blood on it that everyone has to touch and run everyone,
1: their fingers through that yep and uh and then jenny mr hamilton's granddaughter appears out of nowhere um the police come and they take Naiba away because she's freaking out um Let's see here. What do I have here? Uh, the next scene is they're in the lobby of the hotel. The cops are questioning Mark. Mark flashes back to where he found the photo of him
2: of himself
1: that and was ripped out. by the killer. I found
2: nothing else there.
0: <laughs> Doesn't mention it.
2: Exactly. Uh, the funniest thing is there's a poncho covered in blood, and they're like, here, put this on, Jenny. Let's see if this fits. And they wait until it's on her. And then the guy's like, oh, everyone has those.
1: Yeah, and they're all the same size, and there was probably 40 of them.
2: <laughs> and so, so Jenny's t- like, she smells it, and she's like, oh, this is Paulette's perfume. And oh, yeah, that's another one. She's that, like, what, bitch? And she's like, yeah, it smells just like you murderous. Yeah. And then Martinez is like, actually, it was a bottle of perfume, and I spilt it all over all the ponchos. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I, and the film seems to do that more like more than once where they bring up like a new uh reason to suspect somebody and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and says no nope, that's not valid because of this reason
0: yeah
1: you know like with the with the mud on the shoes and whatnot yeah. um, so Tudela he takes everybody's passport and they go to lisa's funeral They mention Burlington for the eighth and ninth time in the scene. I don't
0: know
2: why Lisa's having a funeral in Barcelona, but I don't know.
1: know. But they talk about this woman named Terry Moore. She's the victim from Burlington. Uh, her father is a doctor and cured Alma's lumbago. And their house was just up the road from Mark's.
2: What the fuck is lumbago?
1: It's a lower back. Uh, it's, it's kind of something that it's like sciatica,
2: pain in muscles. Like a, it sounds like a cross between a dance and an <laughs> RV camper van. <laughs> right. It is neither. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's pain
1: in the muscles and the joints of the lower back. All
0: right. Um,
1: <laughs> okay. And then after all of that, All of the stuff that Paulette throws at Mark, Mark turns to her and goes, don't think such stupid things and walks away. He's like, bitch,
2: listen up. You're stupid. Stop thinking about stuff. I have man stuff to think about. Do you see the size of this forehead? There's a brain behind it that's really smart.
1: (laughs) Stop being hysterical female. Um, (laughs) Hey, where's that guy with the tranquilizers? <laughs> yeah, we all let's give them to all the women. And we all will all be better off. Uh okay, so the police come and um they they say that uh they should go to this place called Sitges or uh Sigis. Sturgis. Sigis or Sturgis, right. That's oh, not So it's kind of, they they basically like, look, you're in the best hotel in Barcelona. You can't leave because I have your passports. You might as well continue on the tour, even though half of the tour people have been murdered.
2: (laughs) And every time you guys go somewhere, someone else dies. (laughs) Hey, I'm on my last week here. Yeah. I got I got shit I need to do. If it's, if you, if someone dies and someone actually sees it happening, I'll be able to crack this case. So, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I'm fucked. I got this young guy who can't tell the difference between his ass and a hole in the ground, and I got trout screaming my name. All I want to <laughs> do is get on a boat. Can you guys just hurry the fuck up? <laughs> I got
1: trout screaming my name. Is exactly right. He just can't he can't wait to get. It. Oh my god. Uh oh, man. So um the only thing i have in my notes here is that there's these really cool big wide shots of the coastline in this in this ocean in this you know in this uh in this coastal town. Um but there's these really ugly telephone poles in the shot and i guess you know they couldn't get them out of there but I remember watching some of the other Jolly,
2: like um, Sister of Ursula, where they go to don't,
1: don't they go to like Majorca
2: or something? Yeah, I was just thinking of that when you were talking about the coastal town, and I'm just like, oh, that movie's so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, don't they they go to Majorca and and some other Jolly too or Jallo? I can't remember what it is. Um, but yeah, I thought the telephone poles were ugly. Anyway, um. Jenny finds a roll of film on the bus, and Reverend Bronson was like, I'll take this.
2: Um, You can trust me.
1: I'm a priest, I think. I'm going to give it to Naiba. And uh, I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but I, I noticed that Reverend Bronson and Naiba, towards the end, they become their own little set of amateur detectives. Yeah, even though Mark is his own amateur detective, and we have the, the, the legitimate police investigation going on at the same time. Um, yeah, this is like Scooby Doo on crack.
2: Like, yeah. So much stuff's happening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, back at the police station, um, we see that it's Friday the 19th. Uh, Tudela explains that Lisa's murder was a blackmail. Don't you understand? It's different. And then a letter arrives from the consulate with information about Mark. Um, Meanwhile, in Stygis, Mark and Paulette are talking again about Alma and Burlington. And Mark is saying, look, something doesn't add up here. Um, Mark thinks there might have been an accomplice. Paulette wonders if Alma has a lover
2: um, and then the best thing is, Paulette throws out maybe it's one of the other companies trying to like fuck you up so they right. can take business or whatever. And he's like, that's a stupid idea. But then he looks like he's thinking about it like shit.
1: Yeah, I, I would never admit that this female had a good idea. So,
2: <laughs> so <dumb. laughs> she might have an but- accomplice. I've been thinking about that too. Yeah. I just said it out loud. It just didn't occur
0: to me. that I was yeah. thinking
2: about it until she mentioned
1: it. Um, but Mark starts doing that Argento thing at this point where he's like, something doesn't add up. And he's flashing back to that scene with the dagger in Alma's hand. Um, so then we go to the hospital. Naiba's in the hospital room. Reverend Bronson stops by, but he can't go up until the cops come to make sure it's okay. And then when they come back, he's gone. Yeah. Uh. Um, Meanwhile, we have the killer in a poncho who goes into Naiba's room and attacks Naiba, but he doesn't kill her. Um, And then the cops show up, and um, they're questioning the reverend or the minister or the priest or whatever he is. Um,
2: Who has a perfectly sound alibi, no matter how stupid it sounds. Right. Just bought this brand-new briefcase. Come on, now. It's got the
1: receipt right here.
2: Well, why did uh, you run off? Well, because I bought chocolates and like a stupid idiot, I left them there. So I had to run back and get it. But you're left. done with me, the meter's running on my cab. And he's <laughs> like, Yeah, okay, go. Like <laughs> I, I should totally arrest you right now, but it's fine.
0: It's I don't
2: but I wouldn't want your meter to
1: continue to run, so you better go. <laughs>
0: Two crazy. days left.
2: Two days left. Oh, man, get this going.
1: That's right. He's got to go trout fishing. Um, All right. So we're back at the hotel and the men decide they're going to go to the flamenco show. Um, And then Jenny decides that she's going to go with them, but says that they should invite Paulette. But Paulette has been has told everyone to leave her alone, that she should not be disturbed.
2: Now, here's the funny thing about Jenny. Jenny accuses people of murder all throughout this movie and then every time she does this in the next scene, she's all buddy-buddy with the person again.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> right.
2: Oh, we should call Paulette. You know the girl <laughs> I called a murderess like 12 hours ago? <laughs> we should hang out with her. <laughs> she's such a, like, like back and forth, dude. You know? Exactly. <laughs> what a bitch. Oh,
1: man. All right. Well, um, Romy is waiting for Gail to show up. G- Gail's not around. Um, they asked the Reverend to come, but he says, no. Um, now here's a, this, the, the next sequence of shots and scenes is really, I find very, I don't know. It, it's, it seems like I like the way it was done. It, it's, I, I, you know, I don't know what you think about it, but basically we have, um, they're at the flamenco show. The guys and Jenny are sitting at the table. Then we cut to Paulette's room. And for some strange reason, she does a nude scene in the shower. Um, I thought it was completely unnecessary, but that's where you were wrong. <laughs> I I mean it didn't. It, there wasn't no need for it, right? Did they? Do you think that you know it was like Lindsay was like,
2: "Well, we gotta know. have a scene." So, I think it was to show that she was somewhere and not in any kind of outfit. Okay. Because of what happens next. I
1: see. Because. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, she calls to see if Mark is in the hotel. We go back to the flamenco show.
2: And uh, Mark shows if up. You could say she's getting really needy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, because, you know, every time they, they see each other, they just fight about Alma. So.
2: Um,
1: now. I love this next scene. They're back at the flamenco show, but everybody decides to go do something. So Mark shows up. Um, the waiter comes, says he's looking for the Reverend. Romy gets up to find his wife, Gail, and then Jenny decides to go to her room because she's tired. She's going to go Betty
2: by I'm going to go Betty by right. But Right. <laughs> <laughs> And there's an awesome close-up of J&B being poured. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. So Jenny uh,
1: is walking by the pool. Um, We see the killer in the bushes. She drops her robe. She decides that she's going to jump in the pool. She does have a bathing suit on. Yeah. It's it's green. Um, But before she can jump in the pool, the killer killer attacks her and um, stabs her in the shoulder. Jenny falls into the pool. Well, it looks like she throws herself into the pool. Um, She could have went
2: so much earlier. Like the whole time I'm like, fall back, fall back, back." (laughs) fall back. Because like (laughs) the person in the red poncho can't go into the water because they have plastic over their face. Right. Like they'll drown. Just fall (laughs) back. You'll be fine. Fall back.
1: That's the thing that you do if you want to kill yourself. You jump into a pool with a plastic bag on your head. Yeah. So the killer runs away, the cops come, they pull her out, um, they find this bloody dagger, and they also find Mark, who says, I was just about to catch the killer if you guys hadn't apprehended me, Um, and they take Mark into the police station for questioning. Um, So back at the police station, they talk about Burlington again. This is the 10th and the 11th time they mention Burlington in this movie. Um, there's a rumor going around that Mark was having an affair with the girl who was murdered, Tori or Terry or something. And then out of nowhere, they bring in Paulette, and Tadella asks her if, basically, if she knew about the affair with Terry. And she gets this crazy look on her face, and she leaves. Cause um, she's pissed because she didn't know about it. Right? She's she's pissed, and Tadella tells Mark that he should just confess. And maybe Alma didn't go to New York. Maybe she went to Florida. As you do. (laughs) As you would just suggest. Um, So now there's that mistaken identity points that we're talking about. The next scene, everybody gets their passport back. And Naiba comes down and starts yelling at Paulette because because Mark is the real bastard. Um, However, the Reverend comes in. And here comes Amateur Detective Volume 2. He's like, I don't think it's Mark. I think you should develop the film and look around and see if you can find anything in Lisa's stuff.
2: She's like, well, the film's already being developed. It'll be delivered here in about 13 and one half minutes. (laughs) Exactly. And he's like, cool. Since we know this is going to happen, I'm going to go super far away and walk up a mountain to walk through a castle. (laughs) You know, pressing business and all.
1: Well, well, okay, we're. I don't want to jump ahead yet, but we've got a scene in Paulette's room where she calls Burlington for some reason, um, and then uh, at the police station. Okay, so this is the scene that drove me absolutely fucking crazy.
2: This is it.
1: This is the I've police been to station. Talk
2: about this scene the entire time we've been doing this.
1: Okay, good. I'm glad that I'm not the only maniac. Okay. Uh, the, the, they bring in the guy from the Hotel Presidente. He can't identify Alma from the picture. Then they talk about how the girl who was killed in Burlington had gray-blue eyes. Then, Tudela shows him... No. So then, if you're going in sequence, all the victims have gray-blue eyes. But while that's all happening, Mark is doing this flashback thing and realizes that Alma can't be the murderer because she's left-handed. And when he found her with the dagger, she had the dagger in her right hand. And Tudelo was like, yes, uh, that's right.
2: The flashback's hysterical. And me and Zoe were cracking up about this. Because Alma, is it shows her doing things with her left hand. You know, like dialing a phone, pouring tea. And it also shows her writing. And she looks so awkward. It's like a child with three fingers holding a jumbo crayon. Like trying to like write with her left hand—it's fucking hysterical. I gotta watch it. She's so not left-handed. So not left-handed. Oh, so so like the actress? Yeah.
1: That they wanted to portray someone with left—that was a lefty. Wasn't really a lefty. Oh, I see. Interesting. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) But then, okay. So I get that. He figures it out. That's cool. Everything's great. He's he's figured out the, the, the thing that was bothering him. Then they give him three replicas of the eyeballs
2: in a box. Right? Yeah, everyone does this. And then he says The worst line in the whole fucking movie. What does,
1: what does he say? Because all I all I wrote here is Mark figures something else
2: out, but I have no idea what. He says, oh, of course, this whole time I thought they were souvenirs. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, glass eyes. So, like, I can't continue to talk about this unless we talk about this. But But apparently, (laughs) at some point, he went through Paulette's, like, dresser. And found a bunch of glass eyes. And instead of saying, hey, why do you have all these glass eyes in here? He just assumed that they were souvenirs. (laughs) As you would get at all those places you go to that give out glass eyeballs. Wow. I
1: did did not get any of that. I was totally baffled. But that is hilarious. To say that they okay, so all right, so Paulette comes to Barcelona, and as far as Mark is concerned, oh. she's she's specifically she has a specific
2: souvenir interest, which is glass eyes. Yeah, I mean, my sister collects thimbles, I used to collect shot glasses, Paulette cla- collects eyeballs, glass eyes, yeah.
1: then he says, okay, inspector, let's call Burlington after he figures all this out. So at that point, does he realize who the killer is?
2: He has to. Right. Because he knows it's not Alma. Because Alma wouldn't have pulled anyone's eyeball out with a knife in her right hand because she's left-handed. Right. Exactly. Okay. So then we go back to uh,
1: Naiba's room. And she's going through a few things and eventually they bring the, the Porter comes up and said, this arrives for you and it's a developed photos. And it's from when they were in La Romba, the Rambas or La Ramba or whatever it's called La Bamba um, with the chrysanthemums. And then she flips to a photo that takes her breath away and we get a zoom on her face. Not and we, on the picture. Not on the picture, on her face. And she's gasping in horror. She's looking at this picture. And we will see it eventually. Um, but instead of showing it to us now, she puts it away. The phone starts ringing, which probably should have been something that she should have answered.
2: Because it yeah, was but no, her- she got too much fucking time. Like, not enough time, I mean. She, she
1: doesn't have enough time. She's going to go tell the Reverend. Now, obviously, this is logic. And logic doesn't, you know work its way into this movie at this point but wouldn't you just go and tell the cops at this yes. point you know she doesn't do that she goes to find the reverend first she's got a picture that absolutely positively identifies the killer <laughs> no doubt about it and she goes to find the reverend instead of the police who are, should be everywhere because she's supposed to be being watched
2: all the time yeah, and why didn't she just tell the guy at the hotel, call the cops? Because she goes <laughs> up and talks to him, right? Get the cops here. Which is funny because the cops, it's almost like a fucking Betty Hill skit. The cops and Mark are in the car trying to get there. And then this really slow like arm comes across the road, like a <laughs> thing for the train station, the train stop or whatever, and they're like, shit. Um, gonna be here all day and i honestly thought like oh there's gonna be some like goats walking by or something but it's a train and the train's super fucking long they're there forever like she made it all the way up a mountain to the castle where the priest is while this train is still going by like
1: the longest
2: train ever uh. Uh, Hysterical.
1: Dude, If you go back and add that that music to the background of that, and then speed up the film, so if they sped the
2: film up and then had them like look at their watch every couple seconds, oh, that would have been just amazing. Amazing.
1: Like wasn't the dirty was the dirty old man? Wasn't he a Benny Hill thing? Like come out and start walking around. Oh God, that's hilarious. Okay, so um. So Naiba, again, so Naiba, instead of telling the cops or anything, she just decides to leave and find the reverend. Um, She goes up to the castle. Now at the castle, this girl that we've never met before comes out and starts talking to the reverend. And the priest says, wow, you look just like someone that I lost. And then he says, see this picture? That was my daughter.
2: She and has he's pointing to like the ugliest chick on the picture, which I would have been very annoyed by if I was the girl he was talking to.
0: <laughs>
1: was he? Ta- was he? See, I didn't. I had to look again um, more than once for um, which
2: person it was in the picture. But like, to be honest, it's probably the same chick. Like they probably took a picture, and then they're like, okay, now you're in the movie. Go, but. I'm looking at it now. Let me
1: let me see. He's just about to. Um, oh, jeez. That's her on my left. Anyway, so I don't know what
2: that scene has to do with anything. It's um, to make you think because, like, she has the same color eyes, obviously. So it's to make you think because we still don't know who the killer is, right? And. Which is like if you're getting there. Okay, so the chick is running up to the castle to show the priest that she has proof that he's the killer. That's a stupid plan. But right. like, <laughs> what what good could come out of that? You know, <laughs> that's true. And so like the the priest is just being creepy, and um, he's like, "Oh, look, I have a picture of you." You're
0: like... <laughs> so
2: this girl should have <laughs> ran as soon as like a priest starts talking to her about anything, you know, just run away. But, um, she sticks with them to her detriment. So, right.
1: Yeah, definitely to her detriment, but. Okay. So I guess in my, in my whatever noobness of understanding how these scripts work and even though I've seen a thousand of these movies I'm still trying to think that what's going on with the priest and this girl and his daughter and the picture is somehow related to everything else
2: but it's not it's right? just to give him a motive to want to kill people that maybe look like his daughter
1: right it's just to, to, to throw another red herring at you yeah. but it really isn't related to the main story no um okay so um let's see uh at this point the thing you were talking about where the police are trying to get there and they get (laughs) stuck (laughs) um naiba finally shows up she finds the reverend's body in a hidden in some little compartment and then all of a sudden we see that the killer is paulette and she's dressed in
2: She's she's dressed in this blue pantsuit. Yeah, she got rid of the red thing. She's like everyone's on to me. Yeah, that no more. But she
1: still got the gloves on. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so she's standing over the dead girl who just spoke to the reverend. She removes a brown eyeball in her own eye. And then she extracts the new one from the the girl she just killed and tries to stick it into her socket. And at that point, Naiba is, can't take it anymore and starts screaming.
2: Yeah, which and, is totally gross and totally terrifying. Yeah, like I don't understand like how the I, I just don't get it. But why? Continue. Like, why was she doing that? Like, yeah, like what was go? But she's nuts. She's killing people. So how can I? How can I figure her out?
1: Okay. Uh, well, I mean, part of her confession at the end kind of helps but not really
2: oh her confession's uh, awful yeah. I was playing doctor with one of my friends and he pulled my fucking eyeball out <laughs> <laughs> and she never got punished and she had
1: the same eyes as you and so that's or not you but she had the same eyes as, as everybody else and that's why I stab everybody with eyes
2: yeah, that, that, are, that are blue um, I, I never played doctor like that
1: no no it's a different kind of doctor yeah. Uh, so there's a chase. Um, she tells him that blue eyes drive her crazy. She killed everybody, just like you said. And then all of a sudden, Mark shows up.
2: Well, the one part that I thought was fucking cool as shit and dates back to Torso and... Yes. Uh, the, the bit with the anchor necklace and the key.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Oh, that was just class
1: that was great it definitely reminds me of torso now that you think of now that you mentioned it with the um didn't the killer put like the key in the right spot in torso so that she could
2: yeah because she pushed the key out hoping it would land on the paper and it didn't so then the killer picked it up the key and put it yes. on the paper so she could pull it under the door Yep. yeah Yeah, that's oh, a scary scene.
1: yeah that's a scary scene um so mark shows up and he says, I know you're pretending to be Alma. She tries to jump after him, and then or Tudela comes and shoots her, shoots Paulette. And um, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the magic of HD, you could totally see the eye appliance that they put on Paulette, on her, the, you know, the FX. When she was laying down? Yeah, the special makeup that she, they put on her eye, where the where the socket was, you could see it.
2: It was really gross, and so I tried not to look at it.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah, it's at it's at uh, hour, It's at it's at the one hour twenty eight minute mark. She falls over, and they zoom in on her face, and yeah, you could see the makeup all over the place. And it's again, you know, to your point of, do we really need to have this in high def?
2: Yeah, you don't. It, it makes to be honest i didn't mind it being in high def except for those two things like that girl's not as pretty as i thought she was and right. the guy's not orange
0: <laughs> right so right, right.
2: <laughs> but like it looked fine it was it was great well i think the thing
1: that um is is kind of surreal for me is when i watch these scenes in these movies in high def it makes them look lifelike and realistic and i don't Remember that we're talking about forty or fifty years ago anymore. Yeah, it just looks like people walking around in the city, you know, like it was yesterday. Yeah, um, and I think it's because the you know just the negative and the the film and it's just so clear it looks like it it was you know it was filmed yesterday. Um, but anyway, Paulette dies, and um, we now see the photo. <laughs> it's the photo of Naiba standing outside um, with the flowers and off to the right is Paulette and she's getting, I no, she's putting the bloody dagger back into her purse. Is that what she, I think that's what she's doing in the picture. Yeah,
2: It's either in or out, but she's like,
1: <sighs> like yeah,
2: there's right. It's just um, candid moments.
1: Yeah. It's not one of those pictures like, Oh, well, you know, it could be this or it could be that. No, this is a hundred percent.
2: Yeah. Yeah
1: matter what um so you know that was the big reveal um i think you know one of the things about jolly that you know you have to get used to as you start to appreciate these is that you spent a lot of time and invested a lot of emotional energy into trying to figure out who the killer is and then when it's revealed it's kind of a letdown most of the time um not so much in a letdown that you didn't figure it out, but it's more like you're trying to make sense of it. Maybe. And the explanation
2: that you get from the killer is just like half-assed. And to like... be fair though, too, like with this movie, like every time they're like, well, who's the killer? The next scene cuts to Paulette yes. doing something <laughs> like she's on the phone or she's getting naked and taking a shower or talking to Mark But, like, every single time, it's like he, like, tells you exactly who's doing it. You know? It's just um, one of those things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's other movies that have worse, like, there's one movie, and I won't say what it is in case anyone wants to watch it, but um, when you find out who the killer is, you're like, is that person even in this movie? Who is that? Like, <laughs> I don't know who that guy is. I think you're and...
1: thinking of a, of a certain animal trilogy film.
2: <laughs> I totally am. But it's just like, so it like, this is good. Like, I really, really like the more you think about it and the more you sit on it. It's like fucking Clue, you know? It's like, you have all these people. They're all in a place that is new to them. And all of this shit's happening. And it could be any one of them. And while all this is going on, Paulette's putting together some fucking crazy-ass twisted thing to try to get Alma put away forever so she could have Mark. But during this whole thing, she finds out Mark's been dipping his carrot in all sorts of ranches around town. <laughs> and so she's getting all pissed off about that. And it's right. like, it's just, it's brilliant. It's such a good, like, mystery. It's really good. It's really good. It's, it's silly. It's funny. But yeah. it's
0: really good.
1: OK, I I I can I can vibe with what you're saying. I mean, you're definitely right about how, you know, they've they tried so hard to oh. to to give you the you know, basically, you know, the thing that is cool about the movie is that there's just as much good information and clues as there is misinformation. And you have to kind of figure out what to you know, which clues to follow and which ones to throw away. Yeah. Which is interesting.
2: And like, but, I think this goes back to like, even like five dollars for an August moon. It's the same kind of mystery. Right. You know, like all these people, anyone could do it. What's happening. Well, as soon as all of them start dying, I guess it'll narrow the playing field down. Right. You know, right. Allegedly. But, ah, oh, good stuff.
1: Yeah, so the the movie ends with uh, Mark all of a sudden very, very interested in getting back into his marriage um, because the woman he was going to have an affair with is a maniac and has
2: died. Well, not only that, but the two women you were fooling around with are both dead now, so
1: <laughs> right.
2: like, I think it's fate saying, dude, just stick with your wife. With your wife, exactly.
1: But, you know, um, I guess they're trying to wrap up Um, or tie up these loose ends. And Alma says, I don't know why I decided to go to Burlington. It could have been any city. I just picked that one. Um, and I never even went anywhere past the airport. I went to the airport and then I chickened out and left. Um, but Mark thinks maybe it's not too late for their marriage. So, uh, the final scene we see Mark and they're in the exterior of the airport in Barcelona and he runs into the cops and they say goodbye and um, Mark was like, how did you know uh, that Alma was in Florida? You're such a good cop. Yeah. And and Tadella was like, uh, well, we got an Interpol um, message to tell me that, you know, your wife was in Florida. So well, I didn't really do
2: information anything. would have been great. Like. Two and a half hours ago. <laughs> you know, like, Jesus Christ, why are you sitting on that? Right,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> um, so Mark leaves, and um, Tudela officially retires. Lara is the new inspector. And then we have the plane taking off, which gets a point for Jallo score. Um, the fucking credits. And there you go. And that's eyeball, one scene at a time. I'm glad we had this discussion because I was feeling a little bit like "Uh, I'm not happy with this film and I want to like it again because I liked it before and now I don't like it. But the way that you've kind of described it,
2: it's renewed. Everything's more fun if I act it out. (laughs) Right. You're right. Let's just just say that.
1: This
2: Um, is true. But no, that was awesome. Do you know what we're doing next time? I haven't thought about it yet. But right.
1: uh, we should do, uh, you know, we should do a film we never watched before. Yeah. That would be a good one.
2: Do that weekend one or whatever.
1: Weekend Murders.
2: Yeah, there you go. Could do that. Okay, everyone. So until next time, ciao, ciao, everybody. <laughs> ciao, ciao, everybody. We'll see you
1: next time on the show. <laughs> what are you, a communist?
2: What do you mean, right